Welcome to Mortally Wounded Podcast, episode 36. I'm your host, James. And I'm your host, Chris. And joining us this evening is a special guest. Howdy, I'm Clint from the Heralds of War. There he is, the man himself with us, joining us this evening. Clint, how you been? Good, mate, good. Um, trying to figure out, yeah, which end of the microphone to talk into, because it has been some time since I've done a podcast. <laughs> Do you have to dust it off? Uh, no, not quite. We use the microphone for um, doing D&D um, if somebody can't join us like in person. So all that equipment is still useful. Excellent. Yes, and you're sounding very fine indeed. There's dulcet well, tones. thank you. <laughs> There's dulcet tones back in everyone's ear, ear holes. I'm sure they're all loving it right now. He probably well, doesn't welcome. know what to do with himself, not having to shut Adam up going on some mission to try and get a dad joke in every second minute, something, something, Gina <laughs> Reinhardt, something, Bobcat, Australian reference that no one gets, blah, blah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, take that. Take that, Adam. <laughs> well, I, I, I tweeted earlier when I was doing prep for this episode and somebody's like, oh, I can't wait for you to sit awkwardly after Adam makes a terrible joke. I'm like, nope. That's not what's happening. <laughs> I can give I can give you one now, and we can wait for the the silence as usual. Oh so. God! I, I've I've been out bird watching with Sinead O'Connor recently. So so far, it's oh. been it's been seven owls and fifteen jays. Ah, uh, I read that one on Twitter earlier. As yeah, well. I just saw you're that a terrible person. <laughs> that, that's quite good. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Okay. There you go. That was for you, Adam. No more talk of you. Bye. <laughs> Bye, well, Felicia. Welcome, yeah. welcome, welcome to the podcast, Clint. It's a pleasure to have you. And <laughs> Chris, how have you been, mate? What have you been up to? I'm well, thanks, mate. I'm recovering from the tail end of a cold, which is fine. Um, but yeah, it's been good actually to have a bit of time to just do some hobby. I have worked out a scheme i did my first ever test model which will just be straight into the army as i'm really happy with it um for um new army that i will be doing which i think we'll talk in um in a bit but yeah so i'm um, kind of got my hobby mojo back been playing some games so yeah i'm i'm excited and we've got a new ghb as well so yeah it's good yeah we did cool yeah and how well, about um... you bud how you doing well, it's been a long time between drinks. Um, I think last time we recorded was a few months ago. Um, actually, it was just it was the law episode for City of Sigma. So, but yeah, so since then, um, been pretty busy behind the scenes. Uh, not a hell of a lot of hobby, a little bit um, here and there, but mainly because uh, my wife and I have just recently bought our first home. Um, that was we moved to Goulburn, so we've moved cities again. So yeah, that all that's all done now. We're we're settling in. We're starting to paint all the all the walls and go through and put our own stamp on it and um, put up all the pictures and all that kind of good gear. So yeah, I've been enjoying that. Um, got my hobby room set up now. Um, still need to paint the walls in here and hang up all the pictures, but essentially everything's all set up and I've started slowly getting back into a, a bit of hobby again. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a very busy few months and um, but. Yeah, it's good to be back here with you guys recording this podcast. So, yeah, shall we uh, launch into hobby? So, yeah. Clint, what have you? What's been on your table recently? And uh, you can't talk about what everything you've done since March, but 
what are you sort of your, your top sort of projects that you've got going on? Uh, well, I've been painting little bits of everything. I've been painting an Archeon for someone on this podcast. I've been that just <laughs> refuses to progress at a decent rate because I get to certain points and I just bottle it and just can't go on because I'm scared of ruining it. <laughs> so he sort of sits on the on the shelf just above where I paint and then I bring him down and I do a little bit more and I shove him back up on the shelf. Um, but that should be done soon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Chris is guess, cheering guess, in the corner. <laughs> yeah, guess which one? Uh, guess who's Archeon it is. Um, uh, I have painted uh, some death. I've painted some... Uh, some Cities of Sigma, I'm painting some Space Wolves, and I've got Skaven on the table at the moment. <laughs> Ooh, Skaven. Any particular, um, any particular clan that you're focusing in on? Uh, Scryer, just because of Doom Wheels are cool, pretty much. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Nice. Chris, what do you mean up? What's, what do you mean up to? Um... Hobby-wise, yeah, I guess it's this. Um, I've been doing a little bit on the Seraphon still. I built up my troglodon in the week um, and have that sprayed ready to paint. Um, so just kind of adding a few bits and bobs here. But mainly it's been, um, yeah, figuring out a color scheme for my new army, which is going to be Deepkin. Um, so I didn't, I did an eel as a test model, but I generally won't be running many eels because everyone does that, and you know me, I don't want to. Um, <laughs> but there inevitably has to be some eels, um, and yeah, I, I had one, so I just pulled them out. But yeah, I'm, I wanted a really quick kind of concepty scheme um, because uh, it's the basing that I want to like focus on. I'm going to do like a resin pour basing scheme for the first time because i've never used resin or anything um and i wanted to do that um so i'm gonna do like a turquoisey tinted uh resin pour over i've done like sandy basing with some rocks and just really bright i got all of the um gamer grass alien tufts like all the different colors um so it's going to be really bright basing um and then that's going to be under underwater um and so then the, the eel and the army itself is basically like a two-tone um spray kind of concept army so i've sprayed from the bottom with red uh like the mephiston red spray and then from the top with um avalon sunset yellow um just because i had those two cans sitting on my shelf i think for like a couple of years and i've never used them for anything and i was like pink and yellow could be quite cool um as a, a very bright um scheme and so yeah i've been talking to um sam o'neill a bit because he recently did a kind of a two-tone concept army for his OBR. Um, so just kind of picked his brain a bit and Clint um, helped me a bit. And then um, I just added a pop color of um, some turquoise, which is the scale 75 Caribbean blue, which is the same color I'm going to add into the resin pour. So mm, um, nice. I think that will help tie that to the the resin um, pour on the base a little bit. And I'm super ha happy with it. I, um, I decided to like just coat it in um, some iridescent medium that i've got as well from liquitex just oh, that's what that was yeah right just with a wash brush okay. i just covered yeah. it covered the eel um yeah. and avoided the armor of the rider um and it just makes it wet and slippery and shiny and um helps differentiate the eel from the rider a little bit and i'm super happy with it it's really bright i think the whole army when it's done with that same scheme is actually going to be awesome to look at on the table it's going to pop um and it took me very little time which is exactly what i wanted but it's more yeah. It's more detailed than I thought I was going to go, 
the original kind of photo I showed was literally just like pink airbrushed, yellow airbrushed, and then some sprays of white on like the weapon tip and the shield. Um, and then I kind of sent it and Sam was like, I think it needs a third spot color. Color theory was turquoise, which was perfect because that's what I was going to put onto the base anyway. And then he kind of just literally took the photo on my on his phone and just phone edited some turquoise into some areas and sent it back as a reference point for me. And then I just went, okay, let me do that. Quickly painted it and then sent it back and went, here you go. Yeah, it looks great. And so um, it was really helpful because sometimes I struggle to like see what i need to do or where to do it so him just showing put turquoise here 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 i just copied it and was like oh yeah this looks great <laughs> so um yeah <laughs> that's that's, awesome. that's it really um and then i built up to alternus so he'll be the next to get sprayed and i i yeah think i can smash this army out pretty quickly so i'm just waiting for the um a, an order i place through green stuff world um for a bunch of basing material um but mainly they do um base molds for like resin pouring so they're yep. like kind of rubber molds that you put the base into and then you just pour the resin directly into that and it means that it creates a perfect seal and everything like that um anthony magro put me onto them um so i ordered them and then also ordered some bags of like um brightly colored sponge stuff that you can cut up to look like coral so i'll mix that as well yeah nice cool well, yeah, should I get um, that photo you sent me? It looks really cool. So we should um, send it to me later. We'll put it up on on the Facebook page so people can see what you're um, what you're doing. Um, so hobby for me um, lately has, as I said before, a bit a, a bit few and far between. But um, I had to pack everything up into boxes and all that sort of stuff for the move. So I did that, and um, yeah, then from there went to uh, picked up my last unit of Grave Guard for the narrative army for the dwellers below um, event when, when that eventually does happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, is these are like my living grave guard guys. So they're what I call, I call them the guardians of the grave. So they kind of, their background is that they were, they're kind of ranger type warriors that roam around the North frozen Northlands of Shaiish and they uh, protect the graves of their clan um, from other, you know, rogue necromancers from, you know, harvesting the corpses and skeletons of their ancestors. So, um, yeah, so they're using the Fireforge miniatures. Um, so the Northman Warriors, they, so they kind of look very much like, um, I guess you could say they're similar to the, um, you know, like Game of Thrones Northman Warriors kind of the, kind of aesthetic. So, and that the, their compadre unit is the, um, is the zombies, which are like the zombie warriors. So... Um, so I've painted them up. They're done. I've used um, the Night Lords from uh, decal set from 30K for the um, insignias on their shields and on their banners and stuff like that. So I'm pretty happy with that, how that's all turned out. And um, so, yeah, so doing big snow theme basing for that with like sort of blood splatters in the snow and things like that and um, using a bit of gore but not trying not to overdo it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm up to. My Blood Knights for the army are finished. They're game zone miniature Blood Knights, again, um, using the snow basing. And um, they're quite cool models. Very sort of difficult to work with and deal with. But um, I pushed through all that and got there in the end. I'm pretty happy with the results. So, um, But this whole army, the whole thing about it is I'm using, as I've, would have, people would have heard me talk about before, is using like oil paints and enamels and things like that and just um, experimenting with new and exciting um, things. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that army. 
Um, but since coming here to the new place, um, been writing a little list of ten uh, with ten black knights. So yeah, I've only got five painted. So <laughs> I thought I'll just paint another. I'll paint another five black knights. So I'm kind of about halfway through painting those. They're going to be my first unit I've kind of pushed out um, in the new place. So yeah, that's kind of my where I'm at with hobby at the moment. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so should we have a little chat on games played? If anyone's um, played any games recently, Clint, as the guest, do you want to? chat i think i saw some photos recently on twitter so you've been playing uh yeah so i played um in a sort of um it was a quickly organized event that uh the failed charge ran in um the other month and uh some people may have seen me play on their on their stream against gabe with my beasts um the first game I ever played with that particular army, they put me on stream. So thanks for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was always fun. Um, and then um, played a couple of those games, lost all of them. And uh, the other night I played against Michael uh, just with a thousand points, and he had is it Chaos Ascendant or something like that? Yep. Yeah, where you get free stuff, free summoning. And uh, uh, we played the new um, Blades Edge, Blades Edge uh, scenario, and uh, that was pretty good. But obviously, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, he won that one, um, but no, it was fun. It was good just to test the new scenario and see how we went. Yeah, cool. Yeah, how about awesome. you, James? Been playing much? Um, yeah, been playing. Actually, been playing a lot more than I've been hobbying lately. Like, um, <clears throat> so highlights recently has been well, there was the Clash of Heroes event uh, a few weeks ago at the Hall of Heroes in Campbelltown in Sydney. So being in Goulburn now, it's a lot. It's only like an hour and a half um, drive up to Sydney or to that area of Sydney anyway. So it just makes it a lot more palatable to come back up and. Um, you know, come to small events and do stuff again. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it was cool. It was almost like a – I think it was like one of the first events that had sort of come through since restrictions have been starting to, to ease off. So there was quite a lot, a large group of us. There was 25 um, of us there, of the Sydney crew. So a lot of familiar faces. Um, it was really good to catch up with um, some with the guys who hadn't seen for a while, um, guys like Deke. Um, you know, we had uh, Anthony, Jet. We had, of course, you and me, Chris. We had our we had our game. Um, been that game for ages. Yeah, no, that was and, fun. Yeah, it was good. Um, yeah, no, it was good. A lot, lot of, lot of new, a lot of old faces there. A few new. I think Kent Howe was there. Who else was there? Oh, a bunch of people. Um, oh, Ben, Ben, yeah, Deke was there. Ben was there. Dan was there. Anthony yeah, was Dan there. Dan was there. Yep. Jet was there. Uh, yep. Matt was there. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people from Clanfield. Um, there was a bunch of people I didn't really know. Um, Feud was or, there. Like, I, I heard names, I like internet people, I think. Um, or like people I'd seen on the internet. And then I was like, oh, okay, that's that person. Um, yeah. But yeah, there was a few new people as well that have not been playing that long, um, which is good. Um, so yeah, no, it was a pretty good turnout. I think what it was like 22 people. Yeah, something like that. Um, even Liam rocked up later in the day, hang out and say good day. Yeah. But, um, yeah. No, so it was really cool. And so I played three games that day. One, the first one was with you, Chris, versus your Seraphon. So I, I took uh, Legion of Grief 
uh, list with Nagash and Lady Olinda um, and, and I don't know, Hex Raids and Spirit Host and this, that and the other and um, gave Chris a little bit of a, a run for his money um, with his Croak, Croak versus Nagash shenanigans, but um, I think we're pretty evenly matched in the, in the Magic um, department. But I think as per usual, you know, I make you sweat a little bit, maybe one turn. <laughs> And then you just come through and just crush, just crush me in the end. So that was actually the closest. Was, yeah, I think it was that first priority. I think if you'd won, I think yeah. if you'd won one turn two priority, then it would have been interesting. But as it was, it was yeah, it went, <laughs> it, it went, it snowballed quite quickly after then. But yeah, that was good fun. That was good to have a game. We had, I can't, can't remember the last time we had a game. So, um, and went on to lose my next two games after that <laughs> with Nagash getting taken off fairly early straight away in both my next games. So the next game I played was uh, was Craig Anderson and his um, Everchosen army. So he had all the Baron Guard as Battleline and Archaeon and, you know, I think it was Duality of Death, the last the last Duality of Death before the GHB um, dropped. So, yeah, in that game I... Did the usual thing, you know, push Nagash forward, didn't screen him properly, and then next minute um, I've got Varangard charging into him and just taking him off first turn charge, first first turn. So that was good. Um, made me have to rely on the rest of my army a lot more, which is always fun. But, yeah, he eventually, I think, yeah, he, he smashed me in that game. Um, and then the last game was, oh, shit, can't remember now. But, um, yeah, so I lost my last game as well. Damn. <laughs> so, Dan, of course. Sorry, Dan, if you're listening. <laughs> um, with his Skaven, so he had lots of um, nasty Skavens with warp, you know, warp fire and um, all that kind of good gear. So he just basically just blew me off the table pretty quick. I think he blew off Nagash first turn as well. So that was fun. <laughs> so it's all baptism of fire, literally baptism of fire after not playing in a competitive environment for a while. Um, but uh, beyond that, I've been playing um, a narrative campaign, as some of you listening may be aware of. Um, I've got a couple of episodes on YouTube, but, um, yeah, it's been a bit slow as of late as due to reasons we all know. But, um, yeah, caught up with Duncan, went over to his place a few weeks last week, and he'd actually built this beautiful um, battlefield. So he'd created a whole battlefield from scratch uh, with hills and flopped up and rocks and everything just like incredible looked amazing um modular as well so you can move around and do all that sort of cool stuff so i brought the terrain and set up in the garage and had an awesome day of um garage hammer playing a, a narrative um battle plan for the storm vault um campaign from the um from the forbidden power supplement uh so we had a we had a, a blast playing that so we've always got our um you know i've got my king mortigar the accursed uh, white king versus um you know his uh gun valley the grim holes privateers ko army so yeah it's been fantastic um playing through that campaign with him and we had a we had a blast um and it's uh i, I did take home the victory on that game but it was as sometimes with the victory conditions in narrative games like you can still win a major victory but but also get completely tabled by your opponent so um that was a lot of fun <laughs> Uh, so thanks for the game, Duncan. Um, but yeah, we'll be playing again soon. Um, but yeah, so over to you, Clint. Uh, uh, sorry, Chris. Clint, yeah, Clint, um, <laughs> yeah. So I um, obviously played in the the Hall of Heroes event as well against you in the first round. Um, so that was yeah, as you say, fun to get to play again. Um, I took the Seraphon. 
decided to take a fairly strong list um and i i'd heard rumor that the endless spell limit was going to be capped at three um and so i thought you know what i'll just take a heavy endless spell list while i can this weekend so i think i took five uh five endless spells um a portal being one of them and then the other four were bound um like quicksilver swords jaws purple sun and gemonids um yep. and did the full shebang bang with croak and an astrolith and yeah uh, it's and so then, nasty like not being out of control like not to have any say in those those endless spells um <laughs> and, and a second slam as well so um and i was yeah, yeah i was playing playing fangs of sotek um so summoning two slands to get if i had arcane which i think i got in some games i was on plus five to cast with croak and stuff which is pretty mental um so yeah it was um it was a strong list and um i thought you know what it's been a while since we've had a tournament let's just see what they do um yeah. so yeah we we sort of said oh should we have a grudge and then i i said to you at the start i was like are you sure you want a grudge because it might be a bit of feel bad <laughs> um, <laughs> no, 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 no. it was fun Never a feel bad when I when I have a game with you, Chris. Yeah, no, nah, it was it was um, it was good. And like I say, I was like, if you'd got that ten two pro, it would have been interesting. Yeah, um, I, I, so. I always like as long as I make you sweat for at least one turn, I know I've done a good job. So yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like I'm the only one of your opponents that didn't kill Nagash either, because we ran out of time. So um, yeah, I know. I, we ran out of time at the end of round three, and Nagash <laughs> has got two wounds left, and I had Geminids and Jaws like next to him. And I'm like, James, we don't even need to roll the priority. I get to move these spells. Can I just see if I kill him? You're like, no, we're out of time. Done. He's live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which made me chuckle. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, and then I played a new guy, Ben, um, who I think has only really started playing since um, COVID, which is really interesting. But he actually, uh, he said, look, I play competitively. Um, like, I, I bring strong lists, completely acknowledge that at the start. He's playing OBR. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. And he's like, he's basically been playing a bunch of like tabletop simulator tournaments, oh, yeah. um, which I thought was really interesting. Someone to, that's basically actually never really played in an event, but was competent, knew what their army did, and was like, I'm competitive. Like, this is my army. I've played in a bunch of events, but through tabletop simulator. So that's really cool that we might start getting a bunch of new people come in that aren't like, oh, it's a new person, so they're going to have, like, a bit of a learning curve. Like, they just because they haven't been playing in, like, physical events, they may be getting a lot of experience online. So that was really cool um, and refreshing. Um, and we played Duality of Death, I think, for that one. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I got the win with that. Um, I got very clutch on my save rolls um, for the first two battle rounds against these catapults, basically with um, both units that I had holding the objectives and he didn't kill them. And couldn't take them off me so it got to his turn three and we added the points and he was like i can't win can i and i said no um so he just called it um yeah. and then my final game i played against austin who again is a relative new relatively new guy um i think he's been playing for about a year um so he went to i think he took um seraphon to cancon um so he was playing them before um and now he's playing tempest eye with the um like pistoliers and outriders battalion so he yep. had like two units of 15 pistoliers and uh, a free guild general on Griffin in the battalion and then some units of um, outriders and an Aziros general that could shrug off wounds and gave the rerolls and the plus one to wound and a hurricaneum and six scourge runner chariots. So that was a really strong list as well. And I was curious to see how that would go because I was kind of like, 
he might just shoot me off. Um, this will be interesting. Mm-hmm. And again, that was um, that came down to some um, important priority roles. I think um, I was concerned that he shot the hell out of me, which he had. Um, he had a oh, what are they called? A gyrocopter sitting mm-hmm. in the middle, and I knew it was there. And then I just kind of completely forgot about it, and it was like right next to my big unit of skinks. And I did a bunch of mortal wounds in my hero phase with Croak, and I was like picking the units in range. And every single time I could have picked it because it, it was in range. And I just kind of forgot about it. And then until the last thing, and then I tried to shoot into it. And when I realized, I'm like, oh crap, this is like the last thing I can do. And if I don't kill that right now, it's going to just destroy all of those skinks because it obviously <laughs> hits every single model in the unit. Um, and then I brought it down to one wound left and I was like, ah, oh, crap. And then it destroyed the unit of skinks and all his pistoliers came in and basically I had like three skinks left and then some heroes. But then I got the priority. Croak went off again. Um, and I managed to kill the Azeros, um, which as soon as he lost his general, he lost the immunity to Battleshock. And then my unit of Salamanders, I basically just split my fire into the big unit and then charged the other unit on the objective and did the same kind of damage in combat. Chameleon skinks killed a few. Um, and then um, anything there, it just disintegrated. And so then he only had the Griffin left after my turn three. And I was like, okay, now it's done. Um, and so, yeah, I got I got um, all three wins and I got all three of my secondaries. Um, and yeah, but I didn't win. So just want to say Seraphon didn't win. Um, it, whether that was down to an error of inputting my results into the system, that is irrelevant. Seraphon are not OP. They came third. Let that be known. <laughs> <laughs> They're fine. So, so um, who, did take, who did take out number one? So number Matt Matt was awarded first. Um, he also had three wins. Uh, he got two secondaries um, and like four four. 4.2k kill points or something and then i think um feud came second oh with um, these players. It, it, yeah um yeah. but yeah i think he had two majors and a minor win and maybe two secondaries or something um but yeah so we we talked about it and i was like okay so i actually won but because of the scores going in i came third and i'm like no that's fine seraphon didn't win i can take it again it's fine they're not broken <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so yeah no it was really fun it was just fun to play and i was like yeah okay the seraphon are very 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 strong um don't need to do this again um point proven um but it was fun (laughs) to just kind of take a strong list again for once because i've been backpedaling for a while i think with trying not to just take the obvious power and i thought oh eh, it's not it's been ages since an event let's just take it it's a one day it doesn't matter and um, exactly that's that's why i thought i'll take Nagash and just because I haven't taken him in um, Legion of Grief yet, so I thought I'll just do this list, take it today, and um, yeah, the results didn't uh, <laughs> didn't match up to that list, but yeah. but, um, but it, it was wasn't nice. horrible. It, it wasn't horrible to play against your um, Seraphon anyway. It was actually we had a fun game. It was, I was, it was fun. I was just gonna say it was nice because every single opponent <clears throat> was like, oh okay, like literally as soon as they're like, oh Seraphon, they're like, how many salamanders do you have? And I was just like, just three, like just one unit. And they were like, oh, especially the OBR guy, because I think online people have just been like spamming them in TTS. And I was like, no, nah, just one unit. Oh, okay. and like, he's like, oh, why? And I'm like, well, I feel like you only need one unit and I've got some skinks and then I've got endless spells. And 
and then um yeah you play it and then you realize how amazing the endless spells actually are like i mm. played liam in a friendly at my house as well and before the game had even started he was going oh bloody salamanders blah 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 was like, <laughs> liam we literally haven't even played yet so you can see how like the internet was just impacting opinions and then yeah. we played we played the game and then it was just the endless spells absolutely destroyed him and so now he's like oh seraphon is so stupid the endless spells mechanic is just stupid it's ridiculous i hate lizards and then i'm just like (laughs) i'm just like i thought it was the uh the uh the sallies that were the problem liam he's like fuck off the whole army's stupid (laughs) not like liam to get salty like that i know like if it was him he'd be pissing himself with laughter but no (laughs) no he doesn't get salty no (laughs) can you get salty if you're just made of salt i don't know (laughs) don't know um love you liam but yeah, yeah. so um uh, liam, liam's a, the, a salt of the earth type of guy <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> yeah there's there's your dad joke yeah yeah right <laughs> we, we can all sneak him in every now and then come on we're at that age <laughs> and I, I imagine like the most people listening um appreciate them greatly too so thanks guys <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, should we um, move on and chat about the big thing that released last week, the GHB 2020? Yeah. Uh, you don't, I thought you were going to talk about Indominus pre-orders. That's what the internet's talking about. What's a 40K? Exactly. <laughs> What's 40K? So, yeah, so some box set came out and it sold out and made GW loads of money and then everyone was like, yeah, scalpers. And then GW went, no, no, no. If you want <laughs> one, we'll make it for you. And then there was millions of scalpers crying online. And that was about all I took from it. That's, that's, there's, yeah, that's about all that needs to be said. So. I swear, like 40K, like, like I still get the white dwarves and stuff and I, I just flick past those sections like so fast. Anyway, that's just me. <clears throat> yeah. From what oh, I hear, I... it's it's really good. Um, but yeah, not my game. So that's it. I heard, there's but... lo- I heard there's lots of shooting in it. Actually, the one thing I will say from the 40k release, the new paints that I'm interested in, the new brass like bronze spray looks amazing. Um, and also there's a new technical like greeny yellow oh, paint. Oh yes. Yeah, um, that cool. I will yeah. be getting. So yes. Yeah, as as somebody who's just about to paint a load of um, Skaven, yeah, the, the the brass paints interest me greatly. Yeah, yeah, they look cool. And well, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm I'm throwing shade on 40k, but I do really like those um, Necron models. They look pretty sick. Yeah, they are cool. If I ever did 40k, it would be Necrons, and I still have from like I don't know, ten years ago or something the Necron like box that I bought of just warriors and scarab swarms that I had planned. And then I was like, I can't do this. So I, but I still have them, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, cool. let's talk about the GHB 2020. Yeah. Well, um, how do you want to do it? Do you want to, should we touch on the anvil of apotheosis, apotheosis first before we move into the uh, match play section? Oh, I thought we'd be talking about the most important part that everyone talks about the open play section. Doesn't everyone go straight to that? I, I do. <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> I read it first. To, to be fair, though, like this time, the open play section has like rules for there. sky battles. I know. Between yeah, flying yeah. creatures. That's actually quite cool. I, I read, I was reading through that earlier. I'm like, wow, this is, and there's like um, different movement speeds and um, 
bits and pieces and like yep. um, arcs and stuff. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I first like I flicked the book open without looking at the index and just like saw War Scrolls. So I looked at them and I was like, "What the hell have they done to the game?" I was like, "Have they introduced facing <laughs> and all this?" I was like, yeah. "Oh my god, what have they done?" And then Dan's like, "No, no, that's just like this like open play flying skirmish game." And I'm like, "Oh, thank Christ!" <laughs> <laughs> It'd be, a, it like, would be I, a... I'm ready for a bit of change, not this much change. But yeah. It would be a cool like thing you could do. I don't know. At a, I suppose it'd probably more fit into a narrative kind of style tournament. But um, you could have a battle where you do a sky battle as a part of like you know as you go through the tournament. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. And encourage, encourage people to bring like some pretty cool flying monsters and units and stuff like that, and just to grab a hold of that and just do it for a bit of fun at a tournament would be awesome. Yeah. It'd be really good in in an event where you had mixed modes of play, so you're like, yeah, um, some of your games are like normal Warhammer, and then some of your games are like Skirmish or Warcry or something like that, because pretty much everything, like every yeah. um, faction, has some Warcry stuff. Yeah, and then you can have some aerial battles as well. Yeah, uh, it'd be awesome. Like variety is the spice of life, as they say. But um, but I do find like with the open war coalition like the um, battle generator section is quite cool for this just like a random pickup game like if you're just like in a, a club situation where you, you might be playing a new a new player or someone who's you know not fully you know into the competitive sort of side of things and you can just roll up a, a random um map so you, with your territories and you have like um you know you roll up an objective and a twist and um like things like things a personal agenda um a ruse and you know that sort of thing like i've i've had pick up games like that and they actually are quite fun so it's a cool it's it's a good um like toolbox for all sorts yeah. of modes of play which is the whole idea of it i guess so um, well, i've still got the open war cards that they did which oh, i yeah. don't think i got uh, th- which i don't think i got to use enough so i'd like to use them again one day yeah you can still I, use I, them for sure yeah yeah and then like obviously in the narrative section there's some cool stuff for um uh, campaigns and what they've got like alliance and betrayal rules so you, you know you can do all sorts of cool stuff um fog of war rules you know just to add for if you're if telling the story and the narrative side of gaming is your thing um there's a lot of cool stuff in here that you can um, access uh to add some extra uh, layers and fun um to your campaigns and stuff so um yeah, and, they've got um, the like the coalition of war rules for like playing doubles and stuff, yeah. where you get ten minutes at the start to uh, converse about strategy, and then from then on, you can only communicate as players if your generals are within three inches, or you can like send messengers between the two of you. You either have like <laughs> handwritten notes that you can send by land or air. And there's like a chance that it won't actually get there if you send it by air and stuff like that. So it's like you can't converse. You have to kind of do a like figure your strategy out, and then during the game you have to like leave it up to messengers to maybe get the thing to your your teammate. Um, So there would be some really cool. It's like yeah, doubles, but you can't talk. Like I reckon that would be quite an interesting sort of a game. Yeah, like. You could yeah. definitely implement that in a, um, like a doubles tournament. That'd be yeah. that'd be that'd be heaps of fun. 
when you're like oh and then there's a messenger i'm like what you, there's like a lot of time to just go on like facebook messenger and like message what to do so you just you get like one of the old loath and sky cut chariots and just like free the face the facebook messenger logo onto it and just like <laughs> <laughs> well you, you get people like writing up full strategies then when you're like and you just have your reference sheets and you just run run off the songs yeah. off your song sheets and all new layers of um strategy and tactical uh yeah, you just have two generals that sort of bump together during the turns like they just like turn one they start off together so you can have a chat and then they might go off and do something in turn two and then turn three they start to converge back together to have a chat again and then yeah. or they're like little mage generals so they can sit together and you never have to worry about it but then you don't have a big fighty combat dude <laughs> yeah yeah that could actually be really funny for like a doubles event and like if you did like one player on the team goes and then the player on the other team goes and the other like one player from each team has to literally leave the table while they're playing so they don't have any interaction or what's going on so it lets oh. the two people, lets the two people like go off to the bar while the other two people do their turn and then they swap and then they do their turn and stuff <laughs> it's like some of the relay challenges they have on MasterChef. Uh. <laughs> that could actually be quite interesting that would be, yeah. It'd be much more chilled out because you'd get loads of time to just go to the bar, have a drink, etc. And it would actually be really funny. You come back to the table, you're like, what the hell have you done? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something's going off to the left flank and then all of a sudden you're just like turning it around and sending it back into the centre and then you switch turns and they're like, what? What are you, what? <laughs> I'd be like, Clint, go away. Where's Cliff? Come back, Cliff. <laughs> <sighs> That's what everybody says. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I think the main the main thing, I guess, that's kind of in that narrative area, but also like has implications for match play. I guess is the big thing to talk about is what Anvil of Apotheosis. Yes, that's yes. what they make Stormcast on, right? That's right. Well, or Ethereal <laughs> Stonehorns, apparently. <laughs> ethereal everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for people who who don't know what the Anvil of Apotheosis is, it's a uh, it's your hero, it's a hero generator, like a hero builder. So you've got um, steps that you follow through to create your own characters and all that sort of stuff. So there's been an explosion of um, of characters and War Scrolls, uh, custom War Scrolls uh, being shared all over the internet. So it's been really cool to see some of the stuff that people have come up with. And, you know, like I've, I'm guilty, just as guilty as everyone else of making a... Um, ethereal flying um character with a, like a damage four weapon and stuff like that the but, ethereal um, for you yeah. was acceptable because it was night yeah well that's, yeah it that's, was a clan it, it was a can wraith like a like, special can wraith i think yeah, that's okay. perfectly fine <laughs> yeah like you have to take like you have to take fly and ethereal for a malignant um ancestry so yeah like you go through you pick your um like you can be a champion or a conqueror, so 20 destiny points or 40 destiny points, and you've got these points to build up and create your characters. Um, then you pick your uh, ancestry, so you've got everything from elf to gauze to dwarden to malignants to mortals, stormcast, etc. Everyone's in there. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, so obviously I'll go for the malignants because I've got this cool little can wraith that I converted ages ago, and he's got a, a massive spirit halberd. Um, and he, I just always felt he needed his own war scroll because he's just got such a unique, massive weapon. And so, but yeah, this is my opportunity. But 
out of all the ancestries, the malignant is actually the highest um, starting DP. A lot of them are like, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of them are like fours and threes, six, you know, but um, malignant is the highest with a you're starting on 12, which I guess accounts for the four points for the fly, four points for the ethereal, then four for the base hero um, stat line, I suppose. But yeah, you go on and you pick your, go to the army, armory, you pick your weapons. Um, so you can have melee weapons, missile weapons, two-handed weapons, um, bows. Um, you can put a shield on them. Uh, but everything's got a, a DP or a destiny points value. And you just pretty much add it up till you get to your, your limit. Um, but your archetypes, so you can make him make him a commander, an acolyte, like a priest um, or a wizard. And you've got some cool spells to choose from. Um, then you can go through and add a bestial companion. So you can have a... A minor beast, a mounted beast, or a gargantuan beast, which is really cool because I'm going to be creating a war scroll for my um, Mercia Miniatures uh, giant skeleton model. So I'll be having like a skeleton hero mounted on top of a, you know, a, a giant skeleton. So I'll, I'll be using some of the gargantuan beast rules um, for this particular model when I, when I get around to it. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be cool. But... Um, yeah, implications for um, match play. In the book, it does say um, for match play games, if you want to use them, it uh, requires your opponent's per permission. Um, and if you do so, the number of destiny points you've spent on the hero, um, you multiply it by 10. So you're looking at a 20 destiny points, is about 200-point model or hero and 400 vice versa for the, um, the bigger ones. So... Yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on this being integrated into match play? Should it be there? Does it have a place? Will we see it at tournaments? Will we not? Who's going to go first? I was going to say, Clint, as the organiser of the world's largest AOS singles event, what are your thoughts? Ooh, nice, nice way to throw it at me. Um, <laughs> look, um, from a CanCon point of view, it's it's um, an extra set of admin for two hundred people, um, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that perhaps um, the scaling of some of the abilities wasn't uh, quite right. Um, I I had a little bit of a a um, joke on Twitter earlier this week about. You know, every every character I see that comes out of this thing is ethereal and th three plus save, and you know, that it, it was all getting very samey. Um, yeah, which just shows that people were just picking the best options, and it's like, um, it, I, I don't think it adequately represented what the people were trying to build. Um, and I feel like if you give people a system sooner or later somebody's going to break it or people will set out to break it or to build the strongest thing they can. Yeah. Um, and I just don't quite think it's got a place um, in competitive matched play. If you want to integrate it into your event, though, that's cool. Um, if you want to, like, do that extra admin, do that extra double-checking and making sure people are doing the ad I'm, I'm not saying that people would add up things wrong and correct uh, on purpose or whatever people just sometimes suck at maths um or make mistakes so it'd all have to be checked anyway um 
Like you'd probably have to comp, like you'd really have to comp the um, the characteristic enhancements and abilities a bit, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just, as you said, like yeah, another big layer of admin and checking and um, another comp system to develop within. Yep. Or that's yep. already comped, like, yeah. I think the um, other thing is there's no, like it doesn't actually have any like, restrictions in how many of these guys could can you take like are you allowed to just make six custom heroes to fill your six hero slots like or are you allowed to take one or like it's just, so there's no kind of restriction written in these rules for match play it doesn't say whether you are only allowed to take one or whatever so that's another thing that i think would need to be considered I, I think as a rule set though i think it's really cool because it does let you build you know, there are a bunch of morals that, you know, aren't part of AOS anymore. For whatever reason, they um, they just never got War Scrolls or things like that. There's, you know, there was a, a classic uh, Vampire Counts Battle Standard Bearer. Oh, yes. um, and in, in fact, lots of Battle Standard Bearers went the way of the Dodo with AOS. Hmm. And, and, you know, there's ways to recreate those. Uh, models and have rules for those models with with this builder. So I think you know for yeah. your games with with mates or at home or you know a little store tournament or something where you say right right everyone builds the you know the lowest level of commander if they want to and yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking like probably the only thing like from that I would you know maybe remove or say. You, you know, comp sort of thing is maybe just take away the ethereal. <laughs> just say that you can't take ethereal unless you're malignant or something like that. But I guess that's just kind of removing that element um, from people who, where it might make sense for that character to be ethereal and they may not be malignant. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Necromancer in Hat, um, Heinrich Kemmler, he used to be ethereal. Because he had the yeah. cloak of mist and shadows, yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's what that used to do once upon a time. So if you wanted to sort of recreate him, ethereal yeah. is is useful in that respect. Mm. It's just that when every second character that you see, or three out of ethereal, four characters yeah. that you see, is ethereal, you go, perhaps that's either too cheap, yeah, or shouldn't be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think you're right. It's just it's gonna be too hard. But that's not to say like um like Chris and I've Chris and I've been sort of touched on it a little bit just in our chats recently um, that we I think we might end up including an aspect of this in Sydney Slaughter, give people opportunity to, but it's still under discussion and whatnot. But um, Chris, what are your thoughts on uh, putting it into Slaughter? Well, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we can talk about it. Um, I think I've made the decision mm -hmm. I will be including it. Um, yep. I like Slaughter to be different. Um, and this, it's always tried to have a bit of narrative drive um, I've been trying to tweak, it's always been really through custom scenarios. And so I've been building custom scenarios, but also trying to keep them as relatable to GHB match play scenarios as possible. Each year I've tried to take out the wild and the wacky and make them more um, yeah. kind of um, tactical and less crazy stuff can happen. And I think the GHB scenarios this year as well have done a fantastic job on a big set of really cool missions as well. So yeah potentially there's not as much need or want to go through and make five new custom scenarios when they've also done this new thing that they have said they intended for you to be able to at least consider it as an option for match play um but 
what I will do is I will go through, I already have some ideas um, for doing it with the areas that I think are where people are trying to abuse it and break it. Um, and I will just flat out change the cost of things. Um, so ethereal will yep. go up either 50%, 100%. I need to do some fine tuning. Um, yeah, but I yeah. will flat out change the cost of things. Um, and the main thing is just where people stack um, the same um, enhancements over and over. Um, mm -hmm. The the, the base cost it needs, in my opinion, to increase exponentially as you stack the same enhancement. It shouldn't cost the same. So I'll probably do 100% increase in cost every time you take it, um, which, again, should help take down some of the most egregious um, kind of abuses of things so that you don't just have everything having loads of wounds, three plus save, ethereal, mm. with damage five weapons, etc. You just won't have the points. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is I will obviously put a restriction on how many heroes you can have so people can't just be like, I'm going to take four little dudes or whatever um, and just say you everyone will be able to bring up to one champion and one conqueror. So if people want, they can spend up to 600 points of their army on a kind of hero and a, a bigger hero for 200 points and 400 points. Um, but you could obviously just choose to make two, two that cost less than 200 yeah. or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think I will be including it because it gives people the opportunity to make those. A lot of people have converted models that don't really fit a war scroll and then they end up going, yeah. oh, I'm using it as this. But you look at it and go, well, it doesn't really look like that. Whereas this will actually let you go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. you put a Saurus on a Bastilodon or whatever, which isn't a model, but yeah. you'd be able to actually do a Saurus hero with a mount with this many wounds that actually has a damage to shooting attack. And it's like, okay, cool. That's a Saurus yeah. on a Dilodon, essentially. Um, yeah, it's going to so be yeah. so cool. It would be so cool for like, um, you could have like a, a painting award or a hobby award for coolest and an hero, be, you know, like, yeah. you know, coolest um, custom hero sort of thing would be awesome. I mean, yeah. people can just go to town and really prepare and build it up. Like, you know, similar to like with the Dwellers guys with the um, the Titan um, in their, in their, um, upcoming tournament so yeah it's kind of scratching that itch for the for the hobbyists and and the, the gaming as well so yeah i think it's i think it's great yeah so i think it's, we'll see it in some tournaments we won't see it in all tournaments i think for the maybe for the as like clint was saying like the um the cutting edge sort of uh super you know competitive or larger events um may just yeah. cut it away which is perfectly reasonable and fine no no dramas there but have you more bespoke um i guess smaller um events or narrative events um will um yeah, yeah we'll have I think unless, yeah unless somebody like who knows maybe if i go through like after i've gone through and i release essentially mm. an anvil of apotheosis comp pack yeah for competitive match play which i will mm. do for slaughter if like my intention is that nothing will be able to break the game with it so if that works mm. out and it's fine and it's cool and it helps armies take something to fill a little bit of a gap, but without being abusive, then who knows? Maybe some other tournaments will look at it and go, do you know what? This caused no problems. People enjoyed it. And then maybe it might start happening in, in more events. But yeah, my gut yeah. is my gut is that not it won't really be used for match play. I think Slaughter would probably be the only kind of big event here in Australia anyway that would... Uh, that wants to be a match play event that would run them. Um, I think narrative events will run with them for sure. Um, but yeah. to be honest, I don't see it making the standard kind of match play accepted um, thing, it's how it's written anyway. Maybe if the community accepts a comp that changes it and kind yeah. of fixes those abusable areas, possibly. 
Um, but but we'll see. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, good. But yeah, I mean, yeah. that's one of the parts of fan old fantasy that I probably missed the most was mm. building massive heroes. Like I loved taking like that's why I love the vampire book so much because I think it was the one where you could go into building these absolute beat sticks the <laughs> most because you yeah. could just pay points to make them level four wizards. You could yeah. give them like massive zombie dragons. Then you could spend a hundred points on artifacts. Like you could take a seventy yeah. point sword to just give them like plus three <laughs> strength and and yeah. all this crazy <laughs> stuff. Like I love doing that. Or you can spend five points and give them something that gives them one random rule against something that flies. Like yeah. I, I do miss that customizability on heroes, especially now that malign sorcery artifacts have been pulled out. So there's basically there's there's one now per realm and they're way toned back. So yeah, yeah. it really isn't going to give any scope for kind of custom heroes, but this could be awesome for it. So we'll see. Yeah. Cool. Does anyone have any anything else to add add to that? No. No. Okay. Pretty cool. Su summarized it all pretty well. Sweet. Well, um, Chris, you just touched on the realm, uh, the realm rules. So, should we have a yeah. bit of a chat about the new realm rules and that sort of thing? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think we need to go through blow by blow. No, um, I think most people probably know by now. Um, but yeah, I mean, just generally, obviously, the realm rules have changed so that you don't have a list of six realmscape features and six spells and everything like that. Um, mm. But you now have to, in match play, choose a realm um you roll you roll off and you are playing in a realm it, it dictates match play yeah. games you play in a realm every time and each realm has one spell one realmscape feature one command ability and then an artifact um but you can choose to come from a realm which is how you get to select your artifact so that yeah. doesn't matter because obviously that stuff needs to be on your list so if you want to be for if you want your army to come from the realm of fire and get the incandescent rage blade you can always do that. And then if you happen to be playing in Shaman, like you'll play with the realm of metal rules, but you'll still get to use your realm of fire artifact, which is obviously yeah. the right way, the right way to do it. Um, but yeah, really like, uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on them? I chatted a lot about Anvil, so I'll, um, I'll move over to you guys for this. Yeah. Like I, I think it's fantastic. Like um, just simplifying the choice of um, artifacts for people who want to take, um, their army from a realm. I think that's it's it'll be interesting to see which ones come to the front, which ones just get ignored. Like just looking at the death one, for example. Um, what was it? It was uh, the Gravesand Brooch. So you get you can reroll save rolls of one for attacks at target the bearer. So just a sneaky little permanent um, Mystic Shield on a character, which is which is cool. Like it's just a little little boost here and there. Um, yeah, I like that it's kind of mandated that it's to be used in, in match play. Of course, like some people might still say, no, we don't want it in our events, but I think, you know, we should we should use them. Like they're pretty cool. Like it, it's the theme and the, the flavour of the Mortal Realms in this game that we're playing. So, um, yeah, definitely fully support it being included. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's just great that they've sim like simplified it across um, for, the, for the gaming. So, yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm all for it. What about you, Clint? Yeah, I, um, I'm of two minds um, because for every, you know, ethereal amulet, stonehorn or whatever, or, you know, 
every army with an Eth Quartz brooch. You have some of these um, armies where they only have a limited artifact selection. Mm. Um, I've been running lots of Anvil Guard lists lately. Yep. And if you've got, you know, they've got the uh, ability to take an extra artifact in their army without having to put a battalion in, but they get three artifact choices. And one of them's really good. And then the other two are a little bit ho-hum. And previously you could like dip into the Akshi artifacts and pull out something else that's quite good, yeah. you know, or something that's useful. You know, yeah, you've gone from sort of 15 choices down to three choices or four choices, mm-hmm. um, you know, and all of the city's armies are a little bit like that. Um, yeah. It's possibly a, less of an issue for the other city's armies because they don't get to squeeze in as many artifacts. Um, but, you know, there's also, um, like in the Legions of Nagash book, uh, some of those, you know, all those allegiances, they generally only have one decent artifact, um, and things like that. Yeah, there's some that just never, like, you'd never sort of pick. (laughs) And I think, well, yeah, it's an opportunity for people to go, oh, okay, well, maybe reconsider this, you know, maybe, maybe look at some of those other possibly second tier mm. artifacts and and if everyone's on a level playing field in that respect you might start to see some cool mm. yeah s- some some slightly strange combos um but yeah like it's kind of like in a way like it's re- removing the kind of art like re- leaning on artifact to kind of pull a punch or do something spectacular it's kind of like turning them back down in general to go okay look it's not artifacts shouldn't be something that completely transforms a model it could it should it should just be like a, a cool little boost of some kind um for that model you know like it's kind of putting them t- taking them down a peg um in the way that we think about them perhaps uh but yeah like and as you're saying like it'll help people to like explore their options in their allegiances a bit more like i've started using um in my um, legion of sacrament i've started always putting in the black gem on a character, which is like something that you, I don't know if you've ever seen. I've never played someone who's used a black gem, but it's just a really fun um, little artifact where your character can lob it eight inches and then you roll a dice for every unit that's within three of that point. And you, um, if you roll a six, you remove a model from that unit. So I've had games recently where, like, well, that, you know, I played Dan and he came over to my place. Um, he actually played the first first game at my new place here, and um, like I, I lobbed the the black gem at his um, brood horror, and sure enough, roll, rolled the six, and he had to take take the brood horror off in one fell swoop. So you just had, it just Ouch. created like a real fun um, moment in the game where you're just like on a bit of a, a knife's edge, and you just roll that six, and everyone cheers kind of thing. It's like there's cool moments and there's artifacts like that, which you know then it's hardly ever going to go off, but. Um, but like with my game against Duncan a couple of weeks ago, like we, you know, through the, um, the black gem and, um, rolled a six for the ironclad, you know, so the ironclad went down in flame, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was just, it was just a real fun moment, but, um, yeah, so that's getting more play now, but I've kind of like just sort of naturally gone towards allegiance artifacts anyway, just cause I don't know. I just felt like it, but this is kind of will hopefully push more people into that uh, to think more about that for their armies. Anyway, yeah, it's my two cents. <laughs> what it also does um, with the um, 
streamlined realm rules and the streamlined realm effects and spells and things like that, it gives people an opportunity to play in the realms properly without mm. needing to comp it too much. Yeah. Because um, CanCon's been in the realms the last two years, but we've always played a version of the realms. Like, yep. hasn't been sort of open slather. We've pre-picked the realm sphere effects and things like that. So, yeah, um, it'll give people an opportunity to just play in the realms like that. I think, um, I think the rolling off at the start of the game and and determining the realm that way. I don't think you'll find a lot of places like a lot of tournaments will do that. Yeah, completely no. agree. That was the, yeah. maybe the yeah. one the one thing I think they got wrong in these realm rules yeah. is letting one player choose which realm because there's certain things like you take war scrolls that go, if you're in the realm of fire, you get this. And I know even then the effects aren't that much, but there are certain combos. Some of them have better spells than others. Like yeah. uh, Shaman is a pretty good one because you can get plus one to hit in combat as a command ability and you can get plus one to save as a spell. So there are some armies that have loads of command abilities and they're good at casting magic. Seraphon can take really good advantage of that. So if I was a Seraphon player, I would pretty much always be wanting to play in Shimon. And I don't think they should be allowed to do that. It should just be you roll a dice that's a D8 or whatever, and you ignore the eight and because there's only seven realms um, that you can play in. And that's the result and that's it. Um, but I think that's the one thing that will get changed. Yeah. yeah. You can play in Azir. The <laughs> the uh, the Hurricane reference is playing in Azir. Yeah, it's yet to be yet to be revealed. The chamber is, hasn't been unlocked yet. I was gonna say there's no rules for <laughs> it though, so I don't know if you can. Yeah, but um, yeah. It, it also, if you have some endless spells in your list that are going to take advantage of certain realms, yeah. So. Yeah, which yeah. fortunately Seraphon can't use that. The bound endless spells don't have the empowered by effects. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I just cities the too, though, and also they? being cities doesn't care either. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, there is potential there. Yeah, but now I really like it personally. I think as much as I was kind of like, oh, I'm gonna have to like rewrite and tweak so many of my old lists. You expect that every GHB from points changes anyway, and I'm like, do you know what? I probably agree that it's easier to write a book's power without having to factor in because you, you can't you can't write a book and then also factor in the possibility of 80 realm artifacts that some of them were incredibly powerful because armies that have a 16 wound three up save monster are just going to benefit from an ethereal amulet infinitely more than like a bone splitters army that the best hero they can get is like seven wounds on a boar or something with a four up save like you the the ability to just take that artifact for an army that has something that really takes advantage of it you could just never include it in points costs and stuff like that um and i think they've done a good job i don't think all i don't think these artifacts are going to light up the world but also i think they're not so terrible that you wouldn't just go do you know what I can take that. Like a permanent mystic shield on something. I'd consider that sometimes. Reroll ones to say yeah. is pretty nice. Um yeah, like especially if you've knight, got a knight on hero or whatever. If it's like a three up, if you can get a three up ethereal or a four up ethereal, something like that, and just mm. having a permanent reroll ones is nice. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. think artifacts should be like, you know, world changing anyway. There's there's nice like 
little boosts. That's the way I think about it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and half the ones in Malign Sorcery you'll find were like filler. Yeah. When you have to write twelve per realm, you started yeah. to get a few double ups. Yeah, there was a few double ups there. And some that just weren't good. So Yeah. Perhaps that energy. You'll you we might see some of those artifacts reappear as as uh battle tone based um artifacts in the future, if they yeah. make sense. And I think that's the other thing now is we are we're at the point now where every single army that is a supported faction has a fully fleshed out battle tome with a suite of artifacts. Yeah. So it, it it was the time where you could pull the malign sorcery artifacts from the game, and yeah. every book every book has stuff to choose from. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Very good. Cool. Um, should we have a quick chat through some of the um, changes to, I guess, the pitch battle um, rules, restrictions, etc.? Because um, yeah. there's been a few a few things that have changed this edition. So, yeah. yeah. I think the first thing that sticks out for me is the endless spells limits on the um, Vanguard battle host and war host. That's the first. That's a first. So zero to two endless spells for a Vanguard army, zero to three for a battle host, and zero to four for a war host. So. It um, yeah, puts a puts a cork in the um in the in the spell spam armies. Not that they were that common, but I remember taking like five or six in the spells in my one of my Arkan lists to a tournament last year. So um, it was a good, bit of fun, but yeah, I think it's good that they've put a, a bit of a limit in there. Yeah, they um. Well, there were some some lists. Uh, Glim Spite Gets did a bit of a toolkit list. Zinch had a bit of a toolkit list. Um, I think the there was a Skaven list as well. I think yep, Tom Maudsley ran. Yeah, yeah, that was a bunch of Vermin Lords and a and a whole heap of endless spells, and <laughs> just using them to uh, deny movement to people and things like that. So, yeah, yeah they weren't. Yeah. I think yeah, the the only lists that spammed them were an, like not a fun play experience and they were just generally using them to put like roadblocks in the way rather than using the spell to like touch this unit and do some wounds it was like no you can't move through them so i'm just going to block the board and surround you with endless spells and you can't dispel them all cool and it's just not it's not i don't think it's what they're intended for um and great yeah. and i think most normal armies don't take more than three anyway so i think it's a really nice restriction to be honest yeah totally and the new special rule. So you cannot make more than one dice roll, excluding rerolls, to negate a wound or a mortal wound that has been allocated to a model. If you use more than one ability to negate allocated wounds or mortal wounds, you must pick which ability you will use. Yep. New, new rule of one. Yep. Yep. And that I mean, sort of leans on. Um, that's how it works in 40k. So if you've got um some some uh saves or abilities that allow you to prevent like prevent you from taking wounds and stuff you can only have one um you just use the best one um because yeah. they have things like feel no pain and all sorts of stuff so um i think it's good because there were some uh, situations where you'd have you know a um uh flame uh, like a phoenix with a dude and anointed on it uh, with Ignax scales sitting next to Mystical, and it's like a four up, four up, four up, 
six up. Like it was just yeah. a bit, or the um, it's a bit the, rude. <laughs> yeah, the double Nurgle. Um, yeah, five up, five up, six up, whatever it was, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah. As well, you know, there were just some cases where uh, where stacking those was a bit annoying, um, mm. and just slowed down play a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fine. I think there's some armies that get the rough edge of the stick from it a little bit um, versus others um, because of the fact that rerolls are allowed. Which I get that you can't really say you can't use a reroll, um, but it means that like Hagnar is probably the, the strongest thing you can get now in terms of resilience because you've got a five up, five up essentially because a five up reroll is basically a five up, five up, but you've taken away five up five up from those things that would have had it like all of the legions of chaos ascendant that were using demons or vermin lords or whatever that already had five ups and then giving them another five up they can only have one whereas hagnar with a re-roll is five up i failed it so then i'll re-roll five up um but that being said i think daughters of Cain are probably getting a new book so i would expect hagnar to change anyway yeah 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 it's 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 fine it's a good rule Overall, yep. I think I think it probably is a good move for the game. It will stop horrible builds that could have happened from stacking of abilities, especially within Legion of Chaos Ascendant. Like I literally, the week before <laughs> this GHB came out, had showed a list to Liam that I've had in my phone for a few months. I was like, this could work, and it was literally going to stack five up, five up, five up on like Pascoil Blight Lords and stuff like that, <laughs> and it would it would have just been horrible. And then I was like, cool, don't need to buy that because that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Welfare, part of the problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't do it. I just said Liam was going to go and buy the list. Oh, and then I'm yeah, like, no, yeah. we don't. Yeah, yeah. Blame Liam. But yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, cool. And one thing I love, which I've noticed in these battle plans, is the use of auxiliary objectives to as tiebreakers. So now we pick two auxiliary objectives before every battle and. Um, then to yeah, to, if there's if there's a draw on um, points, then we use those auxiliary um, objectives to um, determine minor victories and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I think it's really cool. It takes out that kill points um, aspect of the game. Um, I think it's a good thing. Um, it's refreshing. It's something different. Something um, yeah, I'm, I was quite impressed with that when I when I read through. What, what are your guys' thoughts on it? What it is is it's bringing those. So previously, the like they had those hidden agendas or hidden objectives or whatever they were called, yeah. Um, by Dub, and they were in like the narrative play section, I think. Mm. Um, but people were using them in match play, and yeah. then some of them, whether they were using them wholesale or whether they were modifying them, like we did a CanCon or whatever, um, people were still using them in match play, even though they weren't in the match play section. So I think what they've done is they've gone back and and revisited them, but also then made sure that they were integrated into the match play yeah. a lot better. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I like it. I like the fact that you picked two. Um, and But I've also seen that I think in one of their, like, example tournament rules, there's a uh, pick three and your opponent discards one or something like that. Um, so they've already sort of mentioned a couple of different ways to use them. And I know that as soon as I saw them, I was like, cool, how are we going to integrate these into CanCon scoring? You know, because mm-hmm. we already did secondaries. 
Um, I like that kill points are getting the R's. That's cool. But I'm like, cool, how do we work two auxiliaries into our scoring? So that's already something we're thinking of. And um, I, I really like it. I, I like that they're sort of an official part of match play now, but they've also had consideration for match play as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing is it is quite a long list of auxiliaries. And as with anything that tends to be when they have to write a lot of things, they just aren't all created equal. And some of them, I just read through them and I was like, why would you ever pick this one instead of this one? Because there's like, pick a hero and kill it. Or one of the others is kill all of their heroes. It's like, oh, wonder which one's easier. (laughs) Yeah. But the thing is, Chris, you play five rounds in a tournament. You can't pick that one twice. So that's the thing, right? Is it's it's going to be okay? You are you tournaments going to have to say obviously you can only you can't do the same one over and over, um, etc. How many actually are there? Like, you're only going to have to do you have to achieve five? Do you have to achieve ten? How many are there? Because are there still just going to be six or seven that just never ever ever get picked? Because you just wouldn't because you can achieve you you achieve them way easier than other ones i don't know but i don't know wouldn't you just use them as like instead of scoring them into the games like just just have them as to determine the outcome and then just have a single score for each outcome like major minor etc so it kind of delineates that so you might actually see more draws actual genuine draws occurring as as a TO, that's my worst nightmare that's a nightmare Um, i was just gonna say you actually want differentiation in like majors and minors and stuff like that. A major is a major, but how major is a major? Like, Mm. do you know what I mean? So we're looking... Not all majors are created equal. Especially if we're going to be getting rid of kill points. Like, Which I like because it constantly, you have the conversation with people of like going, oh, do we, well, you've got this left on the table. So is it 2,000 left what's on the table? Or... Oh well, oh, do yeah. I count? Do I count your endless spells? Do I count your command point you bought, or is it literally just the units I've what, destroyed? Like, yeah. oh, let's just get rid of that conversation and stop caring about kill points. Like, mm. let's let's play the game um, about it, yeah. objectives. So I'm I'm cool with that, but I do completely as a TO like with Clint. I do worry <laughs> like how the hell are you going to split the pack if you don't count the secondaries and you just say well you achieved a major or a minor because you achieved a secondary. Are we then adding additional points for achieving it and letting it affect the outcome of the game? Like there's going to have to be something, but yeah. Yeah. I I have my thoughts. They're not fully developed yet, so I'm not going to air them here before people accept them as gospel uh, for CanCon next year, but I've already sort of started to, to put some thoughts together on how we can still maintain a really good, um, pack separation, especially at CanCon, we need it, um, and integrate the auxiliaries in a really good way. So, cool. yeah, and piss yeah. off kill points as well. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm looking really looking forward to seeing what, um, what you what you come up with, man. It'd be cool. Um, the next thing I noticed that changed a bit is um, battlefield setup. So, and to oh, do yes. with <laughs> setting up the faction terrain. So um, they've basically said now that it's um, it's not like you do a roll off, whereas previously uh, there's a few armies as well with faction terrain like OBR and Seraphon that say their faction terrain goes down before terrain was set up. And like if you're in a tournament, it would always say like 
ask the TO, but generally it was accepted. They go down before terrain, so people would just move any terrain out of the way, place an OBR statue in the middle of the board because it's the best place for it, blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas now they've got rid of that and said that faction terrain gets set up after terrain, um, and it has to be more than three from terrain and one from objectives, plus any other restrictions that are in the battle tomes. And then it says sometimes this will make it impossible for a faction terrain piece to be set up. And if that's the case, it says it's not used, which I I don't know yet if that's going to fly. Like my mm. main instant reaction is always Sylvaneth, the trees. I need to see if it works or not in practice. Um, but we'll see. Um, but the other thing is that you now roll off and then you pick a player A and a player B. So player mm. A sets up their faction terrain first and then play and then also sets up their army first. But player B gets to choose table sides. So it actually makes it really interesting now because sometimes, especially with the restrictions on where you're going to be able to place this faction terrain, the person that chooses player A might be able to get the put their terrain in a better spot, but then the other player will get to choose which side they go yeah so yeah. i think it's quite interesting um i played a game last night um at a local gaming group and i was playing against deepkin my opponent won the roll off there was one good spot kind of in the middle of the table where my pyramid would be able to fit but he got the roll off so he just stuck a ship there and then stuck a ship another ship somewhere else so then there was only really one space on the board where i could fit my pyramid which was kind of in one of the deployment zones but then i knew that at least i got to pick deployment zones so i could pick that side which also had mm. commanding so it's a nice i actually quite like the interplay there of yep. you might get to pick you decide do i want the optimal place for my faction terrain or do i want the choice of picking sides so yeah I yeah. don't know if and you guys there was the, on um, that or had any thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I, I had a, I noticed that as I was reading through, but I um, also noticed how yeah, the, they, they peel it all the way back to um, you roll off and then you put you know then you pick terrain um, from the primary list, the secondary list, and you go terrain piece for terrain piece, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and sort of all flows on from there. So there's like this interplay from the very start, um, from like a bare battlefield all the way up, but. Um, I don't think, yeah, obviously not going to happen in an organised event, but um, there was a, a provision in, the, in one of the paragraphs um, saying that if there's already pre-placed terrain, then you just roll off as per normal and go through the, you still do the player A, player B, and you have that interaction that you were just describing, Chris, which I think is cool, yeah. Digging yeah, it. I, that, that's the, the primary and secondary list of terrain, mm. I think, was introduced in last GHB. and Yeah, yeah. They, they just said, tournaments probably won't use this because it's likely mm. that a tournament will have preset terrain and then yeah. you just that's but they then had the if that's the case everyone just let you put your faction terrain down wherever you wanted pretty much yeah. um whereas i do like this now that you basically do the roll off to decide player a player b player a gets to choose the faction terrain spot and player b chooses sides so yeah and there's been no changes in the command abilities or the scenery uh or the triumphs that's still pretty much. That's all the same. No, the triumphs no, have the been triumphs provided. There's three, three triumphs. Yeah, and there were six yeah. last six GHP. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's actually quite. It's it's back what it was pre last year was. Yeah, so um, yeah. that's good. <laughs> um, yeah, makes it easy to remember. 
Oh, yeah. Because um, it also means that if you're going for a Triumph, you know you've got a much better chance of getting one that you will find useful. Whereas previously, it's like, oh, good, I've got the Battleshock one. Or I've got, you know, there was some the, the really interesting... The the, yeah, the charge one. Because you had to declare you were going to use it before you roll. Yeah, charge, that's right. So, yeah. yeah, I think I got that one once and I'm like, oh, joy, I may as well not have bothered. I would yeah. prefer to have 20 extra points of stuff. Yeah. Can I change my mind and add an endless spell, thanks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I just take a Maelstrom instead? Like. <laughs> yeah, whereas, yeah, these are great. I, 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 I think it's a good move. Just keep it simple. It hits wound saves. Brilliant. All useful all the time. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And I remember as a um, uh, running my death march round, hoping for that wound one every time because it was the only <laughs> thing I couldn't actually get re-rolls from something else on. Like I always had, you know, the zombie dragon can do hits. That's awesome. But I couldn't, I didn't, yeah, you know, death doesn't have anything to do re-roll wound rolls, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, speaking of death march, it's now 150 points for the battalion. Right. Ah, oh, painting death again, right? Okay, cool. Let's go. Has that gone down a little <laughs> yeah. bit? Yeah, yeah it's, it's gone down. It's 160 to 150. So. Oh, okay. 10 points. <laughs> so 10 drop. points. It makes, yeah. a, makes a difference. Yeah. 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 Overall, yep. Yeah. There's not, there hasn't been a lot of reductions in death, though. Not too yeah, many. Yeah, there's not. There's not. Yeah, this has not been a GHB for sweeping changes, let's be honest. And well, I don't know, some factions have. Um, but we need to see the PDF, I think, before we fully comment. Um, but certainly in the printed points, Stormcast is probably the biggest one that have had noticeable drops um, mm. across a huge amount of units that will make a difference. Um, but otherwise, they've done very light touch on the armies that they've gone, oh, maybe 10 points because people don't take this very often. Um, but I've heard rumor of like newer books like KO. If the, if the rumors I've heard for the points drops for KO are true, then that's significant. And I'm surprised because I don't think they needed it, but we'll see. Ooh. Um, <laughs> but all I was going to say is I like that they've kept the two scenery tables. Um, I still like yes. rolling um, on both. And I think yep. the, introdu the introduction of the Realmscape features basically being all the terrain features have one of these scenery rules in effect all the time as well is going to help people just learn them and just get used yeah. to what they are. Because yeah. people yeah. playing, they're like, what's entangling again? And you're like, it's minus two to run and charge. Um, and But I think as soon as everyone's playing in the realms and every piece of terrain just has that rule, you're going to learn them really quickly as well. So I think yeah. it's good. Yeah, it's like for you know, for the realm of life, um, all terrain features of the healing scenery rule in addition to other scenery rules. Um, was it Haish has um, mystical? So it's cool. I like it. And people will learn it, as you said. Like, it doesn't take long for people to learn things, usually. <laughs> um, so I guess the main remaining thing to talk about, the big chunk, is um, – the changes and new battle plans. Um, so should we take a quick break and then we can go through them in some detail? Yep, yep. A break will let me get my, my notes on all the battle plans. Welcome back to the Heralds of War takeover of Mortally Wounded. Uh, I'm the guest, Clint. 
and we're going to now start talking about the battle plans. <laughs> very good. Seamless. Yeah. Seamless. Very seamless. <laughs> That's not the first time someone's taken over the podcast either. Okay. Apparently we've been absorbed I... in, into another network of podcasts. <laughs> Right. Okay. I feel like you guys should just stand up for your own podcast or something like that. Just take take a bit of ownership. Like you guys have built this from the ground up, and uh, and don't let any Kiwis take that away from you. Yes, Clint. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, let's chat battle plans. Um, cool. We've only got two new ones, which I thought was interesting. Because um, what last year we got six new ones, and they kept the old ones, and then the old ones. Um, so yeah, they've done away with a couple and given us only two new ones this time. Um, but they're both, I think, really fun. The two new ones. Yeah. Um, so we've got the blades edge, and forcing the hand. What? The, and so what dropped out of the lineup there are two ones that people found quite problematic. So Duality of Death, which um, was a bit tough um, just with the battle line uh, capturing and things like that, and Relocation Orb, which seemed to be universally panned um, as not fun or, or not not good in a competitive environment. So those two are gone, and we've got those two new ones in, which are quite cool. Have you Have you guys played any of them? No, not yet. I've no chance to play any yet. I have. I've played the Blade Edge, the Blades Edge twice, um, and I've played Forcing the Hand once through Tabletop Simulator. Um, okay. But yeah, I think I think they're really cool. Um, Blades Edge is interesting because they're all the objectives are pretty close. Um, yeah, they are, aren't they? For um, yeah, as far as objectives generally tend to go for for a mission that's got six, they're very close, and they're only twelve inches apart, like my territory to your territory, and then they're eighteen apart width wise, um, so they're twelve apart depth wise, um, which they so they're quite wide, so it can be hard to go from like left to right, um, but to just go from yours to your opponent's straight across, it's a very small gap. So, um, are we going to go through like the two new ones and then go through changes in the others? Yeah, I reckon so. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the blades is really cool. I um, when Michael and I met up earlier this week to to play a game, um, we're like, we'd sort of discussed that yes, we would play one of those new scenarios. Just make sure that we played one of the two, and we ended up with the blades edge. So, um, one of the cool parts of this scenario is that um, at the start of each of the battle rounds, after the first, uh, the person who uh, is taking the second turn in that round gets to pick an objective and and piss it off the table, which is like that's an important decision to make. It's yeah. like which objective do you need to remove? And um, uh, it was quite interesting. I I think I removed poorly um, because I removed an objective that I didn't think I was going to get across the table to take you know, or, or what I had sitting on my side of that objective was like Ungor Raiders. And they're not going to run across the board and take an objective from someone. Um, but unfortunately, that then freed up the unit that Michael had on it to run across the board at me and take it off my Ungor Raiders. So having, having my time again, I'd have probably done that a little bit different. But um, 
Yeah, it's 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 a decision, like it's an interesting set of decisions for people. Hmm. Yeah, it looks cool. And they're close together. Yeah. But yeah. I think the main one for this, because obviously all of the scenarios, unless specified, have the standard objective scoring. So it's tap and go. Um, so you just, if, if it's yours, it's yours until your opponent can take it off you, even if you don't have models there, controlling most models within six, etc. cetera. Um, and what I think is interesting with this is because they're very close together, but they're not close to a board edge. So those armies that can appear from a board edge, like Hollow within six, um, because of the the FAQs and the the rules on how Holy within works, that you can appear. If there's an objective within twelve inches of the board edge, then anything that can appear within six, the point on at the very point of six is also counted as on six of the objective so if uh, if your opponent doesn't have anything there you can appear from a board edge and count as scoring that objective whereas you can't do that in this scenario because they're all at least 18 inches in um yeah, yeah. Board edge. It's, it's 18 in 18 on and i think um, because they're all so close as well it's going to stop stuff just deep striking onto objectives because there's probably going to be models within range um so it does make it interesting in that decision to burn for exactly what you said clint like you might be like oh i'm probably not going to get that but then they can just run away from it anyway and so and if unless you've got something that can teleport back you might be better off leaving it and deciding to go somewhere else and yeah i, I think it's going to come up with some good uh interesting decisions um and it will mean that armies that like to just bunker down on stuff will be very worried about losing priority roles because their opponent can just choose to go second and just get rid of one of those objectives that they were bunkering down on. Um, mm. But that being said, because they're only 12 inches apart, if there was a big block of fire slayers that was planning on just sitting back and bunkering um, and then their opponent burns one of those objectives, then those fire slayers have only got to go 6, 12 inches to get to the one over the, <laughs> over uh, the opposite road. Opposite that, yeah. Yeah, but but in order and because they're out, they're outside of your deployment areas, um, because they're sort of the six inches up from where you know your deployment zone is at the start of the game. Uh, armies have to leave, you know, their safety net to go and start capturing objectives. You know, a, a lot of scenarios, oh, they're sort of moving away from it now, but you know, the the objectives would be sort of within your territory within your deployment zone so you could just deploy units onto them mm. and then kind of hold them whereas this is making you move yeah to even get the objectives on your side of the board yeah it kind of encourages you to get up there and try and score as much as you can early because otherwise if your opponent's going to start or well, one of you is going to start removing removing them so you want to try and get those points up it's one of those ones where also speed is going to be really important if you've got mm. a few fast units um, <laughs> that or just that can drop down if you have got that ability to appear if someone gives away first turn then actually your opponent can basically just immediately get six points on the first turn um and then you're going to struggle <laughs> to probably get theirs so it's um yeah it's going to be interesting of do you give away first turn because it's a very the first turn is the only one where it's very easy to just get six. And then because mm. they're always only worth one, that's quite a big thing to claw back. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
be interesting. It's going to be fun to see how this one plays out. It could end up being a hated one or it could end up being just one of the best ones. Well, I really enjoyed playing it. I think they removed one of the scenarios that's quite random, but I think they've replaced one where, you know, it can it can get away from you based on decisions out of your control, but it's still there's still some strategy there, and I think it's a really good scenario. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah, I what, have what, as well when I played it. Yeah, what about forcing the hand, Chris? I haven't played this one yet. Um, yeah, again, I think this one's really interesting. Um, it, so the kind of mechanic in this is essentially each player has um, three objectives that are kind of their objectives, um, and they're kind of in a almost like two parallel lines um, on a diagonal through the middle of the board. Um, and then you basically at the start of each player turn the opposing player picks one of their objectives to be the primary objective and that is worth three that turn so say me and james are playing and it's james's turn at the start of james's turn i choose one of my three objectives to be primary so if in james's turn he's able to get that objective it will score him three so each turn you're kind of basically going okay of these three objectives which is the hardest for my opponent to take yeah. And that's the one that you're going to want to make primary because otherwise you're giving your opponent two extra points if they can get it, um, which yeah. is cool because you kind of, again, yeah. and you're they really and, them. Yeah. If... Yeah, Clint, what did you think? Um, I, yeah, I think it's really cool. Um, you really have to pick the objective that you know that you can't lose. But if they crack that, and get it, you know, they get those two extra victory points as, as a reward. And I think, um, I know sometimes people have issues when, when the scoring is a little bit lopsided like that, but I think you've got to earn the three. And if you do, um, yeah. And yeah, the, and I, the way that those fair. objectives are set up is really cool as well. Like it's, it's very different um, with the two sort of diagonal lines. Yeah, they're also quite far away. So there's kind of two, I guess, more central objectives that will always be within 12 um, for each player. But then the other two will always be 24 away because they're they're 12 in from the edge of the territories and you have to deploy 12 away from the territories. So two of the objectives are really like you have to move 24 inches to go and get them. And then the one in the middle you only have to move 12, but obviously the middle's a, a bit of a fight. Um, so, yeah, it, it's really good. Um, I played it. Movement really helps, as always. Um, but that being said, you need resilience as well because um, stuff that can just cross the board, suddenly you really have to think, can they get this objective? Um, because if they can throw something into it and you lose it, like you say, it's two points that round and then if you're unable to get theirs for a round or two it can really push it um but it's always even like it's always an equal decision um for both players um so you've kind of only ever got like it's not random which i think is the thing with something like relocation orb it always could go very much in favor of one person just in terms of where the objective went with this mm -hmm if you make the wrong decision or your opponent manages a play to get the three and you're unable to come back, then that was on you and it's not, it's not random. And so I think, I think it's really good. Yep. Cool. 
Okay, cool. So should we um, go through the other scenarios, which are all scenarios which should be familiar um, to anyone that's played um, over the last, well, since the last GHB last year. Um, but almost all of them, I think, have had a tweak. Um, I think there's, Clint, a couple that haven't changed. Um, uh, the, the only one I noticed that hadn't changed was Total Commitment. It has the same deployment map and the same scoring. As, as far as I could see, everything else has had uh, deployments changed or the way that scoring happens changed. So um, can run through those. Yeah, let's just go through yep. in order, I reckon. Um, the first one I have here is Total Conquest. Um, is that right? Uh, knife to the Heart. Knife to the Heart. Maybe I've shuffled my written stuff down wrong. So, okay, cool. Knife to the Heart. Um, so this one, um, what's changed is the deployment. Um, previously, it was sort of like L shapes of deployment on the board, and now it's um, a diagonal line from halfway on the short edge. Um, on, on the right, all the way into the corner on your left, um, which I think was, um, oh, I don't remember what which which scenario was set up like that previously total, from total last conquest. year. Total Conquest. Was it Total Conquest? Okay, yeah. cool. Yep. So, yep. Um, it's still just the two objectives. Um, it's still um, winning uh, when it's determined that you control both objectives. Um, from the third. So, from the, from the third, the third. Yeah. yep. So that hasn't changed, yep. um, and uh, yeah, it's just that deployment, um, which which sort of I think encourages people to to gather around that objective, um, a little bit more than uh, the older deployment. Yeah. Yep. It's one. Of, that's I like this scenario because it's you don't have to worry about victory points. It's pretty much just go for the. Try and control both. It's a good, it's a good non-thinking one on a, maybe the first first round on the second day of a tournament. <laughs> it, it, it depends how much you like maths, James. I think. <laughs> yeah, <it's> true. <laughs> Not my strong point. Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. Good self burn there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. What what's the next one? Is it Total Conquest? The next it's one. Total, it's Total yeah. Conquest, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so deployment so the, zones are different again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's a quartered deployment zone. So um, you deploy in a quarter of the battlefield, and your opponent deploys in the opposite quarter. Now this is a like a deployment map or a deployment style that's been used in forty k forever. Like it was. I, I remember when I was, you know, 13 or 14 playing 40K and this was one of the ways that you deployed, depending on the mission. And I, I find it interesting that it's taken this long to get into AOS. So um, still do four objectives, um, but they've... Um, like, one of the things that they've added into a lot of this year's scenarios is that you get additional victory points for having different stuff like looking after these objectives be it a leader be it a behemoth be it battle line like they've got 
you know, if if you've got it in your your um, uh, territory, then you score victory points. But if you've got a hero also there, you get an extra victory point. Um, yep. And what they've also done, um, I said hero just then, but what they've sort of done is moved away from keywords. So yeah. it's not a hero, it's leader. So they've yeah. gone for battlefield roles rather than keywords, which I think is interesting change. And it, I don't know if it will sort of, if it's a bit of a preview into the future of what's going to happen perhaps, or whether they just thought that was a bit easier um, mm. to use the battlefield roles. Uh, because who, I feel yeah. like someone's done that before. I don't know who. Are all heroes leaders? Uh, there are... Um, there's like a Grimrath no. Berserker or something in Fire Slayers where it's where he's one and not the other. There's mm. there's a couple, I think. One of them oh. is one of the main trigger points for Smorgan right now, which is the Warpnor Vermin Lord. He's a hero but not a leader, so you can't make him the general <laughs> of an army, but he can take artifacts. <laughs> right, yeah. So um yeah, there's just th- things like that. Yeah. Well, um, the um, the objective placement in this version is twenty four in from the shortage instead of eighteen. So, so they're a little bit more central. They're, everything's a bit closer, yeah, but still twelve on. <clears throat> yeah, yep. I think it's an interesting one as well because you've got the two corner boxes, um, but you only have to be nine away. But because mm. the only point that is actually touching is like just that middle point, so I think actually being nine away. You like people will be oh it's only one where you're 18 apart it's actually only going to be quite a small portion of your army that will be able to be 18 apart just because of the yeah. the actual um like territory zone so you you will be further away it's yeah. it's almost like um old school total conquest where it used to be the curves where you used to have the, and you'd have curves in your deployment zone. We're now going to have this ring in the center where you can't deploy. Um, yeah. So break out those nine inch markers. But um, yeah, so um, leaders within six, uh, friendly leaders within six inches of a, of a um, objective uh, score you an additional victory point if you're, if you're scoring it. So um, that's quite cool. Um, yeah, if you have a leader um, and a unit, or if you take it off, if you take a objective off your opponent, you get an additional victory point, and you get the leader point too, wouldn't you? Yeah. So, so if you, yeah, there's potential, potential to get three, three points. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Which is cool, and it makes yeah. makes heroes sort of it gives a little bump it, for heroes in these sort of mm. numbers matter battle plans. Yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to under defend it with something quite weak if you're playing someone that's got big, fast moving monster leaders like Iron Jaws that can move really far because suddenly they'll cross the table, hit that unit, kill it outright, and then get three. And like it's a big, um, it's a big swing or a big addition in points because you're probably not then going to take that off them either. And sure, if they then fly the leader off, they're not going to get the, they're not going to continue to get the extra point. But if they've got little heroes that they can then just go, I know like Iron Jaws can then just teleport a weird knob to sit there and then Gordrak or another mega boss or whatever can do the same thing onto another objective, take it again, get the three and then again, just teleport another little hero or something like that. I, I think, I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, it's definitely going to push armies up to taking more 
leaders so that they just have stuff that they can spread out to just mm. sit sit because you're always going to need to babysit objectives with leaders to be getting these extra points yeah yeah um and um something like um the more tribes with the the beast riders the thunder tusk riders and things like that where they count where they're a leader and they count as a bunch of models as well yeah like that's so you can have one model who moves quite quickly across the board at you outnumbers you because of that that um rule and then is also a leader so he gets the extra points so mm. yeah that's made given them a little bit of a, a kick as well in this in this sort of scenario yeah definitely yeah sweet cool um so the next one's battle for the pass okay yep which um looks fairly similar yeah it's it's um it's short edge triangle anymore yeah 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 that's it's, that's it's, the big change yeah it's long ways deployments and you're in that quarter or that that third mm-hmm. yeah 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 um yeah and last year it was um uh triangles up to the point um yeah which uh, it wasn't fantastic mm. yeah because some armies just didn't fit in that triangle. Mm. No. Especially more, especially terrain is placed a bit interesting. Yeah. But I think the scoring remained this remains the same. Yeah. 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 I don't have scoring written down on my little notes here, so Yeah, it's still it's still your classic. The two in the middle are worth two, your opponents is worth four, yours is worth one. Yeah. 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 Border war, but played along the board essentially. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Stars track next. Uh, yeah, and we've got a regression. That's what I'll call it. So, so old school star strike was the three positions on the on the board. You know, um, in the in the um, second and third battle rounds, you'd roll a d6, and depending on what that what came up, it'd land. You know, on on your left, in the middle, or on your right, depending on you know um, which way you are. And then, sort of last year, we had the two d six roll, so it was a little bit more. It wasn't all. It, it could be right on the extremes. It could be slightly off center, or it could be, you know, um, sort of a bit more central. Um, yeah. And I really quite liked that. Yeah, um, I enjoyed it too. Yeah. And because it was rare that it all lined up in the center, you still had those outliers, and um, yeah, and, and sometimes when you'd roll like the double one, and it would be right out on your left hand flank, um, which you hadn't counted on, you had to go running after it. Yeah, yeah and then they've they've re-simplified it back to the way it used to be. Mm. So you can, it's more predictable. So you, it gives you more like kind of like you you can plan for it better you basically just you just play more centrally again yeah because you you spread out from the middle knowing it's never going to be that far off um i think i agree with clint i actually preferred it where you always Mm. had to be wary that is it going to go six inches from a board edge way off to one flank Mm. um but it does make it simpler i guess but yeah it's 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 a reduction of random yeah well, there is that um, 2019 battle plans optional uh, role uh, that you can do. 
So we can still use that um, 2019 Star Strike if we really want to. Um, hands up anyone who played 2018 scenarios during the 2019 <laughs> handbook. Yeah. Just, just, uh, just for the listeners, no one's hands are going up. <laughs> so, um, yes. while I like that, like, like I like your enthusiasm there, James, I don't <laughs> think it'll happen. Sorry. <laughs> look, you could, look, you could do whatever you want. You know, you could just put that deployment map on there and just go, yep, we're playing 2020 rules with the 2019 um, way we do it. But, yeah. Just to confuse everyone, you know. Yeah, let's not and just say we yeah. didn't. Yeah. <laughs> as long as, look, I would rather play Starstrike away. Let's just put it that way. Gift from the heavens sucked. Um, scorched Earth. Is it scor- Scorched Earth next? I must have just had the first two scenarios around the wrong way on my list because everything else has been right. <laughs> Um, so this has had a, a, a rejig again. Uh, Chris, do you want to run through this one? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I can't remember the, uh, territories if they've changed. Um, yes. I yeah. think they have, I think they yeah. were played long ways last year, whereas they're now width ways again. Um, yeah. But it's still got the eight objectives, um, and it's still about burning um, your opponent's ones um, from uh, second the start round. of the second battle round. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've added basically an extra kind of role for leaders to do again in this scenario, which is really cool, I think. Um, so basically, if you've got a leader within six um, of an objective, then that objective can't be burnt or raised. Um, and then also, if you control an objective in enemy territory while there's a leader within six of it, um, so one of yours, then you score an additional victory point when it's raised. So um, it lets you put your own leaders defensively to stop your opponent burning them, but also use your leaders aggressively to get extra points when you burn your opponents. So Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Cool. And one thing I've always thought was really um, interesting about this scenario is there's there's four objectives on each side, and babysitting four objectives is quite difficult, especially in this scenario where they can get across the board and, and burn it on you. So, yeah, it's quite tough. And the old deployment where it was sort of played down the table, those back two objectives could be quite difficult or if you moved up to take your opponents, they could deep strike stuff in behind. So yeah, you've got a different set of problems now, which is quite interesting. Mm. It's worth noting that the sort of outside two are um, within nine inches of the board edge. So you can conceivably drop stuff in from the board edge ambush or, you know, living city stuff in. And if you, if you're lucky, you can take stuff that way. Yeah, and it's going to be more than just the one model that's sitting on the exact point of... Yeah, because there's a bit of an overlap yeah. there. Yep. Yeah, you, you'd be able to get a bunch of models, um, really. Um, you've got three inches there that you can, um, within objective range, that you can put models on. So, um, yeah, that will be interesting. Um, I think the other thing that's interesting with a lot of these is because objectives have the six-inch 
bubble for capture. They haven't specified here with like a leader may only contribute towards one objective or not. So in the normal objective capture rules, obviously for the stuff that's controlling an objective, a model can only help control one objective. But for this, it just says if there's a friendly leader within six of it, you get the extra points. So like leaders that have got big bases because the objectives are quite what they're within 18, right? So there's a six inch gap. I don't think there's a base really that's bigger than six inches, I guess. But for some of the scenarios, I think it's possible for one big model to overlap the objective capture zones for multiple objectives. So will that one monster be able to contribute the extra point for two objectives? I think um, I, as written, I assume yes, um, but I don't know whether that would get clarified. Yeah, I think perhaps that there might just be that might be an outlier where there where there is those areas where you can put a an archaeon or something. Yeah, because he's on the biggest base, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and that's more than six inches, isn't it? No, it's yeah, it is. So, but yeah, I think you're right there. It, if he's not the one controlling both, then yeah. 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 Interesting. Sure. Yep. Um, focal points is up next. Yeah, I like this um, because they last year. Um, it's it's a little thing, but when you're measuring out the board, it's much more helpful. Last year there was the center point, and then the outside. Out. <laughs> yeah, they were eighteen out. And you kind of had to make sure you got the angles right so you didn't have this weird diamond shape. Um, but this year, your objectives are measured from the the edges of the board. So they're 12 up and then 24 in um, yeah. so that you have a prop. Like It's a lot easier to put them in the right place and make yeah. sure that they're there. Um, the thing I find funny is that so many people I know played that technically wrong last year because everyone just put it on the 24 inch line anyway but if you actually look at the map and they've used the same map from last year with the objectives in the same place but then added arrows to say this is 24 and 12 but because they use realm of battle boards which are 24 inch tiles and they've got the little golden markers on the map where 24 inches is across is you can see it's not 24 inches over it's how it was last year which is about two inches off from that line um, which, yeah, it's it's tiny. It just makes me chuckle because it's, yeah, no one ever used to do it that way. Everyone, I think, used to just deploy it mm. the way yeah. that they want you to deploy it now. Um, but I just find it funny that they didn't bother to update their uh, little um, image file to move those objective markers over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You'll just have to send them a strongly worded email. I'm not that guy. I don't care. It just makes me chuckle. Um, and... Uh... So it's monsters. And, yeah. Mm. Monsters or behemoths, mm. which is cool. Mm. Um, yeah. So if a player controls an objective while there is a friendly monster or friendly behemoth unit within six inches of it, uh, they score an additional victory point. So like giving those models a, um, a job to do, which is really cool. Yeah, it's um I so I played this one on TTS um using Deepkin and I had some sharks and their um monsters. 
So just being able to string units of sharks between like my objectives and the middle objective was like I didn't actually need to push to get the other objectives because they were scoring me three extra points around. Yeah. Um and and so like if you've got monsters and your opponent doesn't, you actually there's no need to push. So it's going to be interesting again in list design, um, like monsters or behemoths. You're going to want them in your lists because it's just extra points and it means that you don't have to over stretch to take objectives necessarily and you can force your opponent to have to try and take them off you because otherwise you can just sit there and outscore. So what I'm hearing, Chris, is there's now a, a reason to take Charybdis' in lists. Shit. Ignore everything <laughs> I just said, Clint. No, it's never a good idea. <laughs> But yes, actually, yes, you could take Well, they're a behemoth, so yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, there's a couple of non-behemoth monsters out there that are probably now going, you know, people weren't taking them before and now they might. So Yeah, if they're cheap as well. Like sharks are great for that because they're 100 points and you can take them in yeah. units of one. So yeah. you can just, and they're fast. So you can just be like, cool, got that one, got that one, got that one. Just sling a shark within six, get an extra point. Um, so, yeah, they're a really Korgorath's cool. monster? Yes. Korgorath's are yep. a great shout. Yep, they're now useful again. So, cool. I like focal points. It's a great scenario. Yeah, and I like this little change. It, it's cool. Yep. Because it means you don't necessarily have to fight over the middle. No, if you've got, if you've got the right sort of army build, you can just look after your own stuff. Yeah. Better part Better of Valor. Yeah. Yep. Um, this this battle plan has a wonderful history where people hated it, and then it was okay, and then it was now it's got quite complicated capturing um, rules. Yeah, <laughs> this is definitely the most wordy, I think, of the new mm. ones. So it's battle um, yeah. line finishing a move within three inches. It's and yeah, it's the move all, was a retreat move. Yeah, it's, so no retreat it's like it's like the hero ones where you know, like uh, three places of power or places of arcane power, where your hero ended the move within three inches. That this is that, but for battle line essentially. Um, yeah, I think the great thing that this does though is it's not like duality where it was battle line or a hero, so you didn't really have to think about it that much like if you were taking strong heroes you didn't need to you could still min your battle line and you'd be fine because you can just score it with heroes this one though they've completely removed heroes it is only battle line that can score so it's gonna really make people go am i honestly just gonna take min battle line like hmm. because if yeah. you draw if you if you take min battle line and you draw this scenario yeah it's hard like, yeah, real hard. You're, you're taking an L on this yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, which I like because it's going to make people start taking more battle line and not just spam elite shit or um, big monster heroes. Um, unless they want to just do it and go, do you know what? If it comes up, it comes up and so be it. But otherwise, yeah. Yeah, but there are other armies where that were really awful to play in duality because they had tanky battle line. Um, Looking at you, Hagnar, all those witches and sisters and... All yeah. fire slayers. Yep. You know, um, but obviously... Um, Nurgle will be there a are bitch. Six, 
three blocks Sorry? of plague nurgle will be a bitch three blocks of plague bearers just go <laughs> hi <laughs> yeah um but i was just thinking there, there are six be... objectives you know there are yeah. six objectives here so you've got to have mobile battle line as well if you have any if you want to have any chance of taking your opponent's objectives oh god yeah uh, i hadn't even thought about that i was just assuming it's three in the middle but yeah no it's nope, six nope, objectives nope. six still yeah. so it's like holy crap yeah okay yeah so you need you know six those battle line. yeah well units if you of want to five light kings or something like that mm. you know it's, six units of five that's that's still quite tanky it's a lot of wounds it's, it's lengthways um, deployment as well, whereas last year's was um, long ways. Sorry, um, short, short edge. Yeah, it's, it's also yeah. it's also you have to finish a move within three as well. So you're gonna have to spend a turn just to score your own, just to move and stay within three of your own. Yep, and then well. you can't move away. Yeah, mm. scoring scoring's the same from what I can see. Yep. Yeah, I'm keen to give this one a go. Actually, I think yeah. of all of them so far, I think this is going to be the most challenging for list building. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and 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 add that in with the way that the victory points calculated, depending on how long you hold them, which is always it's always fun to see people trying to do maths on how long <laughs> those objectives have been held. It's horrible. So, yeah. um, <laughs> and it, and it, yeah, it doesn't scale. Um, very well, but um, yeah, this is going to be a really tough battle plan for a lot of armies. Yeah, because you either have to make the decision whether you want to take yours and hold on to yours, or you're going to go balls out and run across the board and take theirs. Yeah, because that you capture yours and then you move off yours to go get someone else's. You've lost yours, so yep. you really it's six battle line. <laughs> like... well, or it's or it's at least it's at least four i think is the interesting point yeah. because you're always going to have your three on your yeah. list and then it's do you take that fourth slot because you can obviously use the rest of your army to go kill theirs so they stop scoring so you can obviously yeah. just go do you know what you can obviously just play i'm going to score my three and then use the rest of my army to go kill theirs so they can only score two um but if you've got that option of okay, I'm going to go kill theirs, and I've got the fourth battle line unit that I can then go to capture theirs. Yeah, or if you've got one of these armies where practically everything becomes battle line. Yeah. Um, if you're running in that allegiance or that particular, uh, um, mm. that particular general or something like that. Um, and they're twelve. Yeah. They're, they're within twelve. For this they're within twelve of the edge as well. Um, which is interesting. Yeah, okay. Hey, Clint, are Ungor Raiders battle line in Beasts? Incorrect. I asked if they were. No, they're not. Yeah, okay. I think a Nighthaunt would be good for this because you've got the Chain Rasts, Hex Rays, and Spirit Hosts. Yeah. As your, um, as battle line units. And that's, I know, for me, that. And Grimgast Reapers as well, aren't they? Yeah, Grimgast can be battle yeah. line. If, they, yep. if you're a Nighthaunt, yeah. yeah. So that's yep. all. Stuff that That's moves whole fast. Army. Yeah, Death, yeah. Actually, dire wolves, like yep. they're pretty skellies, fast. They can zombies. go grab stuff. Skellies, yep. zombies, grave guard. Um, even a grave guard. Grave guard in yep. legends of uh, grand host. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. No, it's good. Cities it's will good. be interesting because you start picking certain 
generals and things like that to open up a bunch of battle line if options. Yeah. Hmm. And then you start to go, oh, actually, yeah, this counts as battle line. This would be battle line. This would be battle line. Um, yeah. 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 It, it, I reckon this one is going to have a huge influence on, on army building and it's going to be a very interesting scenario to play. Yeah. Or I think people will, certain people, like, people will just rage about it and then they'll be like, this shouldn't be included in tournament packs and it'll be the scenario that people just go, don't include it, blah, blah, blah. But I, this is already one that I think <laughs> should almost always be in. Should be because included, of that. Yeah. And, yeah. and they Before can reason, go yeah. have a cry. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I yeah, don't it think it's, it's not bent, it's not random. It's nah. like super tough. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. Um, especially as it's making you again, we're just saying, mm -hmm. oh, you're going to have to spend a bunch of points to take a bunch of battle line units. But then we've also said, oh, you want to take more leaders and monsters. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's going to encourage, I, hopefully encourage more balanced lists. Is over. MSU, well, no, are we moving towards MSU? Um, little trying to find those cheap small monsters, cheap small battle line units, etc. Yeah, small and relatively durable. Yeah, I hear Black King's got a, a points reduction. Yeah. yeah, well, no more. If anything, I'm just thinking Ideneth eel spam with singles of sharks is looking even stronger. Oh yeah, because Ideneth needed a bit of a bump up, hey? Yeah. <laughs> They weren't. They weren't doing well enough. They, were they weren't good enough for me. Hey, Clint, your teammate's yeah. going to take Ideneth. Don't complain. <laughs> I'm going to complain about all the things. On a new note, I've just changed my list to be all eels <laughs> plus sharks. No, <laughs> not doing that. Um, right. Next mission: shifting objectives. Yep. So this one has changed a little bit. Mm. Um, in that. Uh, the deployment zone, they've kind of condensed it in from the sides. Yep. Yep. Um, and uh, if a player controls the objective while there is a friendly battle line unit within six inches of it, they get an additional victory point. So um, once again, having some battle line is going to help you in this. Yep. Um, and... Uh, and um, I think the other core mechanics are the same. Like one of the objectives is um, is the primary objective and worth three yeah. points. Oh, no, no, that's right. I wrote this down as well. Yeah, I wrote it down. Yeah, yeah. Now instead of three. Yeah, this has changed can, quite a bit. You can get that extra point with your battle line. Yeah, but yeah. I think that's a good change because three mm. points on an objective like where there was only ever three if one of them became three and it sits in the same place where one player just has control over it and it doesn't move or it was kind of like relocation or where the game had the, uh, it had the potential to go away from one player just based on where the primary yeah, was. Just based um, on bad luck. But two points does drastically change that. Um, and the fact that you can get extras from um, battle line as well. Um, so I think yeah. these are good changes. Mm. Just yeah, looking at no. the um the wording of that, um, if a player controls an objective while there is a friendly battle line unit within six inches of it, they score one additional victory point. Does that mean you could have this one battle line unit getting that extra point across multiple objectives? 
Yeah, because individual models score. But yeah. if that one unit is strung out between the two, yes. Because yep. that counts there within six. So yeah. yeah. That's what I was saying with the leaders, which is yeah. why it's mm. just it's just different because a hero, because normally you say only one model can count towards scoring one objective. Mm. But if you if you hold it with other models and that leader's just within six of both, do they count? It's the same thing for battle line. One unit, I'm I'm certain one battle line unit can get you the points for two objectives because it would be different models in those units scoring. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. If you've got a unit of 40 dudes or whatever that's strung out and their battle line, then you've got both points and, you know, you've got two objectives and you get that additional. Mm. So that's quite interesting. Yeah. See some jank, janky play there. Yeah. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Like, yeah. Do you take a big block of battle line? to hold it and then that gives you the ability to string out and get two but then coherency can be an issue if you get split in half like yeah yeah Don't know. yeah it's easy to crack it yeah if you got the tool yep. places of arcane power is next is it yes, yes it is deployment right. is changed again boxes and yep. corners yep so you've got your quarter deployment again and it's um, still 18 on from the center, from the um, corners and center, so yep. objectives the same. Yep, except in this, and we, you know, we talked at the start um, where they've changed from keyword capture to sort of battle roll capture. Instead of being yep. a hero, now it's a leader um, that captures these. So has to finish a move within three, can't retreat onto etc. etc. Um, and it's a leader unit, not a hero. So. For those bizarre edge cases like the the Warpnor, where they're one and not the other, yeah. So, um, and yeah, it, it's the same scoring that it it racks up each turn. You control it consecutively for each of their turns, so it's not um, it's not like if you go, then your opponent has two turns, but doesn't take it, and then you go, that's four turns. It's like no, you've had it for one turn, and then you've had it for your second turn. So yeah, um, each of so their yeah. turns. Yeah. 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 Yep. Cool. Cool. And um, then it's the so, Blade's Edge, which we've talked about. So then yep. uh, Total Commitment, which, again, we've talked about. It's the only one that didn't change. Yep. Um, and it's then forcing the, hand. forcing the Hand, which we talked about. So, yeah, that's all of them. Yep. Sweet. Oh, cool. Yep. So I think that is really everything um, without going through the like auxiliary objectives, blah, 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 which I don't think we will. There's a list of them. Go and read them because they're going to be important because it, any tournament game you play now, you're going to be trying to achieve them um, because it's going to determine minors, um, draws, majors, etc. cetera. Um, yep. Because, yeah, they've basically said now, what if it would be a draw, um, but one person's achieved their auxiliary, then they get a minor. Um, or if they've completed more, auxiliaries because i think you play for two each um so yeah they are going to be important so people should read up on them um but the the exact mechanics around how many you pick etc are gonna i think vary from tournament to tournament hmm. cool um do you guys want to touch on anything anything to say about media engagements uh, personally i've never actually played a media engagements battle no but, me um, neither I don't know enough about that really to comment, um, but 
enjoyed it and played it. And... No, um, the uh, that's the one thing I was going to say actually. Um, is they've included a section on team format. Mm. Um, Coalition which of Death is quite interesting. No, yeah. not the Coalition of Death. Actual team tournaments like oh four, yeah, the tournament packs. four to six player, four to eight player, whatever. Um, it mm. actually has like a pairings system um written down which i think is nice because team events are cropping up more and more um obviously yep. runax is the big one here in in australia and um, that's just going from strength to strength each year so um i think it's nice that everyone should go into that knowing cool this is probably how pairings will work um obviously i don't want to speak for gabe he can do whatever he wants he might check decide to change how this works but um, if anyone hasn't been to a team's event and doesn't know how that would work, um, at least you could read page 118 of the, the GHB and kind of start to get your head around probably how that mechanic will, will work. Yeah, or you get an idea of how some team mechanics work and things like that. Yeah. yeah. There is the cool charts on um, the Coalition Matrix on pages 100 and 101. Yep. Which is kind of cool to see who who can and who can't go together, who goes well together, and all that sort of stuff. Yep, it's more for the coalition, like um, doubles format. Yeah, um, it takes me back to the old allies table in um, yeah in Warhammer Fantasy. Um, yeah. I do like that Skaven are uh, at best sort of fractious allies, even with themselves. Yeah. But let's 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 be honest. Like Skaven armies themselves, like within one army, don't really work together. Let alone like two different warlords. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's great. Yeah. Um. Do you want to take another quick break there, and then I think we uh, James put a shout out for some listener questions earlier, and then we can do that to uh, wrap up the show. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, and we're back from our little break, and we're going to have a look at the listener questions. So, first up, um, we'll go, we've got um, Sam AOS, aka Smorgan, has asked, uh, is it okay to shame power gamers for their lack of ingenuity and effectively playing, uh, pa paying to win? <laughs> so I think, I think, Clint, this question's targeted at you. I think he knew you were coming on the show. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah because if if there's anything that i know it's power gaming yeah <laughs> is it okay to shame power gamers for their lack of ingenuity and effectively paying to win <laughs> yes yes it is oh, and then he said unrelated question how is chris enjoying seraphons this is definitely a dig at me oh, um, definitely a troll question yeah but <laughs> but i think with some genuine um i don't think it's okay to shame power no. gamers um but i mean yeah okay i'll rephrase that it's Tease definitely them. not okay like at the end of the day games workshop are the only people that you should ever hold accountable for anything you can do in the game in terms of rules points etc um people are always playing within a legalized framework so never ever have a go at someone for playing what they're playing they're allowed to um yes there is stuff that is less fun to play against um and is a bit more point and click shall we say so i think it's more what's the level of kudos or i guess respect of player skill people will 
dish out um, or dole out um, based on the armies that people play and do well with at events is probably the the conversation and um, that Smorgan is alluding to. So I mean, yeah. Do 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 you have any thoughts? Do you do you care, Clint? Um, I I've gone on a journey with how I feel about power gamers and things like that, and even the term. But I think that people should just be free to play what they want and not be vilified or made to feel like they're not. Like if you win with an army that's quite strong, I don't think that win means any less because you still won. You still have to pilot it. There were plenty of Zinch armies at the bottom at CanCon. Let's just put it that way. Like as much as people talk smack about Zinch, there were plenty of Zinch armies in that bottom third at CanCon. So, I th- were they I were they people- all optimized though? Because it's not you can't just say zinch as a whole it's still possible to write crap lists with strong books absolutely yeah absolutely but i think um i i've kind of meandered off my point um i just think it's people should just let people play what they want to play and keep opinions about it to themselves (laughs) really (laughs) Just shut up. <laughs> That's how I feel about that. Look, I think if you know the person and you, and that sort of thing, like, and you can have fun digs at them, like, you know, like you would have a dig at your mate sort of thing, then, yeah, sure. But in general, as it, yeah, concur with you guys with all that. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think internally people know. Uh, like, you know yourself if you're taking a list that is really mm. strong or if, and, like, the list is doing a lot of the heavy lifting and like i do think people probably in the community have eased up in terms of bashing people for taking strong lists now but they just go oh yeah we expected you to win and i think as long as people are fine with that then it's fine people aren't getting as kind of butthurt about people taking them because i think a year or so ago people were like actively like oh i don't even want to play this guy because he's taken that list. Like, I don't think people care anymore, but it, it's more like if that player wins a tournament, it's less impressive because it's expected. Like, on the weekend, I was, like, questioning, like, Hall of Heroes, should I take this Seraphon list? Because I know it's super strong. They haven't adjusted points, and I know Seraphon are at the top of the meta right now, and this list I've written is very, very strong. And I kind of said to, like, all the guys in the Clan Filth chat, I was like should I take this? Like, I don't want to hamstring myself. It would be kind of nice to just take a power list for once and just go along and just like win it. And they all said, take what you want. Like, it's fine. Just go along and just win the event. But that was the thing. I like went along and essentially did win that event. But I was like, yeah, cool. I I probably expected to. So it would have more from my point been disappointment if I hadn't, because I'd have been like, wow, I played pretty crap (laughs) because this list should have won the event. Um, but yeah, I, 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 and no one actually cared in the end. No one was like, oh, please don't take them, blah, blah, blah. They were like, no, take what you want. But yeah. we all know you're going to win kind of thing. So it was like, okay, fine. I'm okay with that. Cool. Okay, so next question uh, from Tim Davis. So he says, your thoughts on the hero builder and using it in tournaments? I think we covered that earlier. 
Um, my only issue is the ethereal ability, also touched on. <laughs> Everything else seems fine. Um, and secondly, should Tomb Kings still be playable in tournaments, even though they are in Legends now? I think they, they should, and it's harder for them without Realm Artifacts. Um, so yeah, I think as you said, we talked about the hero builder um, generally in tournaments. I think 99% of the match play tournaments won't use it, um, but we will use it for Slaughter. So if you want to, come along when we can finally run it. Um, but actually, his next question is a really good point that we haven't touched on with the points. is um, There's been a lot of discussion online about legends, um, especially around Tomb Kings and stuff. Um, I think the thing that's interesting, though, is for some reason this year, everyone has decided to go, oh, Tomb Kings are in legends now, so they're out. They were in legends last year, but people were like just still using them for tournaments. They uh, kind of dif differentiated, right? I'll disagree with you there. No, last year they were in compendium. Com well, yeah. Len so legends is a thing that uh, GW have sort of moved into. Like, um, it's basically going, putting them there to die, essentially. Um, because um, Legends includes a whole bunch of other stuff, um, whereas last year um, a bunch of stuff disappeared um, and Tomb Kings was still in the book. Um, and Legends is, um, I suppose it's another name for it, but it would, uh, Legends also included the rules for like Malekith and stuff that didn't have points. So um, it's a bit slightly different. Um, but all the stuff that was in Compendium, right? Like, oh, I don't know, like the skink, the chameleon skink stalker hero and like all that kind of stuff that they got rid of that you could you could still take in mixed order armies, right? But people just generally said, like, uh, what are they? Like free guild or empire archers and stuff that had the pregame move. That was all sitting in the Compendium section, right? With Tomb Kings. No, um, uh, like Free Guild Archers was in the, um, was actually still in Free Guild. Um, but yeah, no, a bunch of that stuff was in Compendium, like the Battle Mage on Pegasus and that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, all that stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, but people still allowed Tomb Kings, like they said, you could use Tomb Kings and Bretonia, those ranges, but all the stuff that fit into other armies that had been Compendiumed, people tended to be like no you can't so you couldn't take the battle mage on pegasus but you could take tomb kings but they were in the same section so i don't know it's always going to come down to a to but i don't know if it matters as much where it is well i think it was more i think the difference is that tomb kings and bretonians are an entire range whereas yeah. the others are just random models mm. um and i know that like cancon not this year but last year we ran no compendium, um, except for if you had a Tomb King army or a Bretonian army to yeah. allow people to have those collections. But I also think now we've, we've, we've sort of hit five years now, um, and it's been four and a half years without Tomb Kings or Bretonians. Oh, you're about to drop a frozen moment, aren't you? Um, and I think that there's some sentiment in the community for people to like to move on so 
you, you just mm. you're leaving me hanging. You weren't going to say it, are you? No, I was going to. I probably would have said it, except that you referenced it, and then now I and then I actively didn't. Uh, um, I think Tomb Kings. To answer your question, Tim, I think um, Tomb Kings should still be playable in tournaments. Yes, you're biased because... though. <laughs> Why? I've never played Tomb Kings. <laughs> you're a Bretonian <laughs> army. I'm a yeah, I do have a Bretonian army, yes. But he's never yeah, but, used um, it. I've never yeah. used it in match play, like at a yeah. tournament though. They're still in square bases. <laughs> never, Part never of the problem. Yeah. Um. But um, yeah, I think look, I'm gonna take that angle and just say, look, um, you've got the models, you've got the army, they've got points values, it's they're great models. Um, you've put lots of time and effort into them. Um, I think yes, they should be allowed because it's you know, how's it going to affect anyone else negatively? It's just, it's just the army you've got. That's great. Cool. Bring it on. Yeah. Should be, a, still think, be a space for, for you. You shouldn't yeah, be excluded. I think they will because always people be. just want to move on, you know, like, like it's great. Let's, we're moving on. The game is naturally moving on anyway with new battle tomes and rules and et cetera, et cetera. And over time, like the rules will just get left behind, I suppose, because it won't be supported, won't be adjusted with points and stuff like that. So, um, it, it, it's just, yeah, I don't think people should be excluded just because they've got an older army that still has points and stuff like that. So that's yeah. that's my stand. I think the fact that even though they might not be updating the points values actively, the fact that they have printed points values in the GHB means mm -hmm. that at least a new player coming can still look at the points values and go, okay, well, there's a Tomb Kings range here that has points. So like, if you turn up to an event and someone has said, Tomb Kings and Bretonians can be used from Legends only if they're like in those armies. So you can't just cherry pick to take Cetra in Mixed Death, for example. Mm. Um, but you could take Tomb Kings if you took a Tomb Kings kind of Allegiance or whatever, and the same with Bretonians. I mean, it wouldn't be Tomb Kings Allegiance, obviously it's like Mixed Death, but um, but you know what I mean. If, it, if it's a full Tomb King army, you could take it. If it's a full Bretonian army, you could take it. But all of those other random War Scrolls, they are gone. I don't think they'll be in match play. Um, I think as long as there's points in the back of that book, I think it's reasonable that even new players would be aware or like they'd see the entries. I think if they properly wanted to remove them from the game, then you just pull, you just pull the trigger and stop putting them in the GHB. Even if they left a points PDF and the, the PDF was available online for the Tomb Kings and Bretonians, etc. Um, but that was the only place for the points, then that would be the point where you could probably go, look, okay, there are no points values printed in the GHB. These units effectively do not exist in the match play realm. Mm, but yeah, uh, there's so many people out there with Tomb Kings armies. And way, it seems to be way more Tomb Kings and Bretonians, but it's a cool army and it still works and it's not lighting the world on fire. Um, so I wouldn't want to mm. stop someone that played fantasy only had a tomb king's army finally even if it was five years later decided look i'm going to play age of sigma i want to use this army i wouldn't want to say no you can't um, no no so, yeah it is it, it is a hobby you know this is a hobby <laughs> so it's it's should be all good but um like it, it's talking of Bretonians, like they're so overcosted it's ridiculous <laughs> like so it's probably one of the main reasons why <clears throat> i'm actually made the jump with them but um yeah anyway sure are we anyone else want to say anything more to that question before we move on no that's good no cool 
Next one's from the mayor of Dubbo, Matthew Tyrrell, also known as the Australian master. Um, his first comment was, oh, I didn't realise we were recording tomorrow night. <laughs> Next time, Matty, we'll get you on again soon. Don't you worry, mate. Um, so his question is, should the GHB address the rules around dropping your armies on the board when it comes to battalions? I feel it should be drop all at once or one at a time. None of this dropping until your enemy is almost done and then you drop at the last of your battalion. So that's the first question. What do you guys think of that one? <clears throat> Clint? Okay. Um, yeah, I feel like that rule should change. Um, I, I think, yeah, battalions should be all or nothing. You either drop or you drop it all as single units. That's it. Um, yeah. And uh, and the GHB is a good place to test that, I think, perhaps, because they've made rules changes before. We talked to one about one earlier. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll see it next year if enough people talk about it. I've seen I've seen some discussion about it in the last couple of days, actually. Well, you know, in the last couple of weeks about the way battalions work. So who knows? It might be in GHB 2021. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can get on board with that. It's yeah. For me, it's like, cool. Yeah, all or nothing or all or one at all, one at a time, sorry. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I've done, I've always dropped my battalions at the same time anyway, <laughs> anyway, just, just for speed of play and ease, you know, like, but yeah. Yeah, you have, but I think the issue is, yeah. people that want to build into a change host or whatever that can just go cool well i can i can basically dictate who goes first or second but i don't have to have the weakness of deploying my army and then my yeah. opponent being able to counter deploy to it because if your opponent's 10 drops you're like okay cool well i'll just go down to nine chaff chaff yeah. chaff, chaff, chaff chaff where's your important shit cool now i can put my stuff down guarantee that i still get the choice of first or second it's um yeah, mm. I, I've definitely moved to the to the camp now where I think that should be gone. If you pay a battalion, everything goes down all at once or individually. So at the start yeah, of the yeah. game, you basically say, how many drops am I with my battalion? How many drops am I if everything goes individually? Mm. And then you make that decision. You shouldn't be able to just get the best of both worlds because you're already getting the choice. Like You're already getting the option of lower drops which probably means you're getting the choice of first or second you're getting an extra cp you're getting an extra artifact um it's, it's too flexible at the moment having your cake yeah. and you're eating it yeah well if you've got a battalion how many drops are you well i'm whatever you are minus one exactly like that's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what it is though it's like yeah oh are you eight drops oh cool i'm seven are you five drops oh i'm four like should we should we be shaming these people Absolutely. Um, no, it's up to Games Workshop. No shame. No shame. No, no. Actually, the, there is the, shame, but it's for Games Workshop. We need to all just. It's walk a Games Workshop outside. shame. We need to. Everyone that's in Nottingham needs to walk outside the headquarters of the Bell. It's going shame, shame until they change the battalions. Yeah. No. Look. Yeah. We're not going to shame those people. Um, it's just. Well, it's just taking advantage of the rules that are there, like yeah. Chris says. It, yep. that's how the rules work so that's yeah. how you use them like yeah yeah should that rule but, be um, changed for the betterment of the game yeah absolutely yes. yeah cool that's that's a different question yeah yes 
Um, so next part is also, what are your thoughts about more and more armies coming out that have a lot of shooting? I like the fact AOS has always been centered around hand-to-hand -hand combat and 40K has always been more of a shooting game. To me, it feels like AOS is moving closer to 40K. Thoughts about more and more armies coming out that have shooting, a lot of shooting. Um, me personally, um, uh, I've never really played shooting armies, so like, it's not good for it's not good for my MLA army. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, it makes me want to branch out and um, think about doing more shooting armies um, as well. So, yeah, that's kind of that's my sort of take on it at the moment. If it's good, if you if you like shooting and that's your style of play, then yeah, cool. But um, it's not great if you're a melee gamer, primarily like I am at the moment. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I can't talk to the 40k comparison, so I'll leave that to, to Clint. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Me, but um, <laughs> I feel like there was a lot of shooting at the start of AOS, and it was problematic. Um, the things that were winning were shooting heavy, like Skyfires and stuff like that. Mm. And then they changed the game mechanics to lead towards combat strength. Um, mm. game mechanics or new armies that came out then definitely pushed the game away from shooting um, mm. a bit and look at Cyril came in and then that made it yeah. very combat focused <clears throat> and so now yeah. they're maybe just trying to readdress the balance um, I don't think it's all about shooting I think they've released a couple of armies recently that shoot really well um, but they've also released some armies recently that are strong that still have almost no shooting. Iron Jaws is a great example. Well, War Clans is a great example that has very little shooting outside of um, Arrow Boys um, if you're going down the Bone Splitter side of things. And then also um, More Tribes. They're a great army that has relatively little shooting unless you build into lead belches and undercuts. But generally, it was the big combat monsters. Um, and they still can do well. Um, and I think they will do well with the changes to the, the scenarios this, this year, as we talked about earlier, with leaders and stuff being more important um, and scoring extra points and monsters, etc. Um, so, yeah, for me, I, I think the game's fine. I don't think it's turning into 40K, but I don't really know that much about 40K. So, I mean, Clint, I know you do a bit of both. So That's that's being very generous in my in my knowledge of 40K. Um, I, I just kind of listen to stuff. Um, yeah, 40k uh, traditionally is very shooting focused. Um, combat isn't really a thing. Uh, they're getting a new edition, which is changing that though. So we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I guess I agree with you in that. Um, shooting was problematic towards the end of um, AOS one, I guess. And then we had some correction on that, and everybody's talked about the return of the shooting meta ever since. Um, but, yeah, aside from things like cities or um, a Zinch coming back and things like that, uh, I don't think, and KO, I don't think it's super shooty. I don't know if I'm missing anything there. Maybe Seraphon a little bit, but, um, mm. yeah, I don't think it's that bad. I think it's there's books that focus on shooting and there's books that focus on combat. Any yep. core measure, I, I don't. I don't think it yeah. has gone. Yeah, I think it's a balance. Yeah, there's because there's cool. there's armies that still predominantly just don't shoot. They don't have shooting built into their book. Therefore, the game is not just going to turn into an all shooting game. Yeah, looking at you, legions. <laughs> <laughs> 
Cool. So next question uh, we have from Josh Griffiths. So um, his question is, uh, who would win in a fight between Bert Newton or Alf Stewart? <laughs> I would Ooh. say Alf Stewart. Alf Stewart all the way because he's, he's got a bit of mongrel in him, you know what I mean? So as the non the non-Australian, Alf Stewart <laughs> is from... Home and away. Home and away. Right? Home and away. Yeah, the old dude from Home and Away. But I don't yep. know who Bert Newton is. So. Uh, Bert yeah, because I imagine he hasn't been on the screen much while you've been over here. Bert yeah. Newton is sort of Australian TV royalty. He um, did a lot of talk shows and a lot of um, a lot of sketch comedy stuff in the earlier years. Yeah, he did a little um, bit of that. A, but... he's, he's been a staple on Australian televisions throughout the what, the 70s, 80s and into the 90s, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yep. been quite ill lately, so he hasn't been on stuff. Um, From that comment, I'm going to go with Alf Stewart then, as he's still a bit more sprightly if he's still on TV. <laughs> Alf, Alf Stewart's just... If he's... you call Home and Away TV. <laughs> Not that I, I don't watch it, I just know. Uh-huh, yeah, sure, sure. Literally never have watched an episode. I just know that he's that guy. But yeah, <laughs> but you never know. Bert Newton might have like some sort of secret like power or something, which is that that hair and that face, that smile. He just there's, there's, there's some, something behind that. There's something. There's some hidden latent power there, which could probably just flatten Alfie. I'm gonna do a uh, live Google. <laughs> what the hell? He looks like an egg. Yeah, he does a little bit, but he just deploys yeah, his son he out. Looks like Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> yeah, he's a scary guy. He's, he's a bit scary. <laughs> so from that, I'm going to say he's definitely going to lose a fight because he's going to fall off a wall and crack. <laughs> All right. The next question from Josh is, what's a better landmark, the big Merino or the big banana? <laughs> well, oh, I'm going to be a little Jesus. bit biased here and say the big Merino. Um, because uh, there's a guy I follow on Instagram. He's he goes around and um, checks out all Australia's biggest things or all the big things of towns, and um, he rates them like in a percentage. Why is he does this? Has this like algorithm matrix that he determines um, their percentage. And in this, uh, the Big Merino scored pretty highly on like something about seventy five percent, whereas the Big Banana scored about seventy two percent. So. I'm going to say based on that, the big Merino and has nothing to do, has nothing to do with the fact that I live in Goulburn and that's where the big Merino resides. <laughs> and next question. So, oh, I was going to say, this is another one where me not being Australian, I, again, I'm going to do a live Google because I don't know what the big Merino is. I know it's, it's a, a big banana because I've giant, been there. It's a, a giant, giant sheep. Oh, okay. It's a giant stone ram, right? The big pineapple is better well, than both. So, well yeah, I do love pineapple. That's the Liam. So, let's go with the big pineapple. Third answer. Uh, I like <laughs> but, like, Australian towns, have all, like, a lot of them have got like a big something, you know. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of them, but I didn't know what the big marina It's is. like Ballin has got like the big prawn, you know. Yeah, there's the prawn, giant, I was going to say. Yeah. Um, you know, there's other towns, there's like the giant lawn bowl, you know. Robertson's got a giant potato. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not very. Not I very feel neat. like that's just phoning it in. If you've got a giant potato, you've just got a big rock that you've painted yeah, different it, shades it, of brown. It, it's a giant lump of brown. <laughs> oh my god, that yeah. needs to be that needs to be Toowoomba's um, symbol, Clint. So you can have four, <laughs> four types of potato. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, but they're everywhere. There's you know yeah. There's a giant Ned Kelly. Tamworth's got the giant. Has got the big um guitar, guitar. and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, there, there's hundreds of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and finally, gun to your head. If you had to eliminate one army from Age of Sigma, why would it be Zinch? <laughs> had a lot of zinch mentions earlier tonight so i think um yeah as you're saying it's the pilot it's the pilot <laughs> but if you had to eliminate one what would it be well clint we already know would get rid of tomb kings because he's a tomb kings nazi apparently <laughs> tomb king britannia Legend he's, gone. Get rid of he's it. Joining Gabe, don't know what it is about Queensland. No. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! I might just leave now. <laughs> no, um, that's a really hard question, though. Clint, is there one army that you just hate and you would remove it? <sighs> Not really. I kind of like all of them. Um, what, what maybe about fire beasts? slayers. What about, what about beasts? No, beasts are fine. They're not good. You wouldn't remove them to, to anything, any sort of semblance of being an effective army. Um, probably fire slayers. Yeah, that's fire slayers. Like I feel they yeah. were an idea taken too far. Like I loved the Slayer cult in old school dwarves, and I loved that they got a bit of a continuation. But I, yeah, I don't know. I don't like fire slayers. Yeah, that's there you go. Because I, I've actually never played against Fire Slayers. Still, I've never played them. But when I was going through the armies, thinking the one that went into my head was Fire Slayers, just because everyone always just talks about how you can't differentiate the models. You never really see the Magma Droths. It's just block after block after block of Hearthguard. It goes first, goes twice, whatever. And every no one ever has like goes. Oh fuck! I love Fire Slayers. I had such a great experience playing against them. They feel <laughs> they feel they feel boring. And yeah, I'd probably go with that. I do like all of them, and I wouldn't actually get rid of one. But if I had to pick, Fire Slayers is probably the one that for me contributes the least to my love for Age of Sigma. Well, I feel like that's the point of the gun to the head in the in the question. It's like you have to make a choice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh. I mean, it, it wouldn't need to be a gun, to be honest. It could just be a mildly hot cigarette, and I'd probably still do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. James? Yeah. Well, if I had to, if I just had to get rid of one, probably Nurgle. Yep, Nurgle. Done. Oh, Ooh, yeah. I you could have called that. I could have called hate that. Nurgle. <laughs> I hate Nurgle. <laughs> but that's not for a game mechanic reason, is it? You just get grossed out by them <laughs> just yeah <laughs> that's a fair uh, don't are you shaming him for his reason of not no i just find it really them. funny all the things that james is into i just find that really funny <laughs> yeah probably no because yeah i just yeah it does it grosses me out um you know no offense to your Nurgle players out there like you, your hobby's amazing you do an amazing job at creating such realistic pustules and sick disgusting poos and all sorts of rot and disgusting. I don't think I've ever seen a Nurgle model with poo on it. I was just going to say, don't forget the poo. What do you mean? That's, that's I was going to say, don't forget of. the poo, because for ages when I was um like doing stuff with green stuff, because I knew I'm going to do my Nurgle army, and I thought it would be hilarious whenever I had some green stuff spare that I wasn't going to use, I'd just roll it up into a turd. And so I've got this box that's just got loads <laughs> of different size green stuff turds ready for me to put on my Nurgle bases. <laughs> Oh, so you're part of the problem. Got it. 
<laughs> the only good thing about Nurgle is the Nurgle's rot technical paint. <laughs> um, cool. All right. I'll just uh, skirt on to the next question, shall I? Um, this from Tim Barclay, um, the Aussie Wargamer. Um, so he says, my question is, how did you get to be so awesome? Oh. Wow. Wow. I don't know. I think it's just, you know, just get up in the morning pretty much. That's kind of the, <laughs> the way it happens. <laughs> get up in the morning, brush my teeth, have a shower, get dressed, you know, just awesome. Getting around the place. Please spare Please me. Stop. Yeah. Please stop. Please <laughs> stop. <laughs> this, is the, this is those awkward silences. Clint's I'm waiting for you guys to chime in and just like at least back me in some way. I mean, let's be honest. That's a question that you don't really need to answer. I kind of um, stumbled, stumbled forward there. Yeah. Um, but thanks for the love, Tim. We appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Um, Next one. Hoops. Uh, Ryan Hooper. He, hmm. he also asked thoughts on the Anvil of Apotheosis heroes in competitive tournaments, which we talked about Um and he said, and all rolling realms per matchup, which again, we talked about. Um, I don't think it will be a roll off. I think you'll just roll a D8 or whatever. Um, and that'll be it. Yeah. Or it'll be determined by a TO. Do you think, you don't think people will just play in different realms all the time? Or you think a TO will just say, we're all playing in this realm? I don't know. It's up to... Yeah, it's up depends to on the TO, really. Yeah, yeah obviously yeah. everything's up to the TO. I just, uh, I, I just wondered. Mm. I didn't. I've kind of yeah. finally thought we we're at the point with realms where TOs you probably don't need to make a decision on it. You do just roll it up before the game, like the rules say mm. you should. And yeah, yeah, you could just put a line in your pack, just saying, "Yep, just roll up as per rules, whatever," or just not mention it. But um, all right. So Ken Van Ship has asked, "Have you considered playing with?" oil paints or painting with oil paints for minis um so yes i have and i do and i enjoy it it's a good um it's a good alternative to painting the old gw way um yeah i get I'm sort of in the earlier stages of doing it um i've talked about it a lot in previous um episodes but um yeah it's good i, I would encourage people to give it a try um biggest advice i would give would be don't use um mineral terps as you're thinner because it stinks use the um the odorless stuff that you can buy from your hobby stores i reckon that's probably a better option um for indoors or just get a non get an odorless um thinner uh, but yeah it's great 502. yeah absolutely 502 is a great brand for oil paints for miniatures um mainly because they have a lower oil um level than your regular oil paints so it doesn't take as long to dry um because it yeah designed for miniature painting, but they still take like as with any oil, it still takes a very long time to dry. Um, a great uh, channel that I refer to for um, for this style of painting, it's kind of used a lot in 30k and also you know across um, different um, gaming systems. But um, it's that sort of grim dark style, obviously in 40k as well. But um, yeah, it's kind of a lot of it's putting applying a wash and then dabbing it back with um, like Q-tips or cotton buds and things like that too. It's kind of like reverse highlighting and stuff like that. So it's a really cool way to do it. It's actually really easy to do. Um, I would recommend, yeah, uh, the Grimdark Compendium um, on YouTube is really good, or Zacastacoon Miniatures, um, as is also known. 
um, I would get get on board with that and have a look at some of his tutorials. Um, and um, yeah, I recently followed his tutorial to, to paint my um, one of my night haunts. So he's got this kind of cool blood ghast um, scheme. And so I followed that to the letter and just to get a, a feel for the, the style and the, his techniques. And as with all things, once you sort of get a technique under your belt, you can start applying it and branching it out to other stuff. So yeah, that and enamels too. Enamels are cool, like pin washes and stuff like that. So yes, um, I have considered considered it. But um, what about you guys? I know Chris, you've been thinking about it as well, doing some stuff with oils. Uh, maybe what you told me. Um, but yeah, I haven't yet. Um, I haven't, haven't had the, a go yet. No. Well, if it's the what is it? The black is the the Abtiland five hundred two black. If that's the oil paint. Yes. Um, yeah then yeah, I've got one. It's still sealed. Um, I have yet to try that test scheme. So yeah, I haven't used it yet. Yeah. What about you, Clint? Um, I, it seems to be a bit in vogue at the moment. Um, I know like uh, some of the historical gamers and stuff have been doing it for years and years and years. And I feel like it's yeah. sort of coming a bit in vogue here in like fantasy miniature painting and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I'm very much a... Um, traditional miniature painter, like G-Dub hobbyist kind of person. Um, and then I just like use acrylic paints and mainly G-Dub stuff. And I very rarely venture out of that. So um, it's probably a little bit far out of my comfort zone to, to really mess around with that too much. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's cool. Um... Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> It does at first, but it's it's actually it's just a it's just a new technique. It's it's yeah, it's not um it's actually a lot easier in, in a lot of ways too. I've found because because it does take longer to dry. If you do uh, get a bit messy, it's very easy just to go back with a, a bit of mineral spirits and um, kind of just remove that from that area and stuff. So yeah, it has its pluses and its minus minuses. Slightly um. Slightly off topic, but I know you said in terms of that technique being for like kind of reverse highlighting. Um, something mm. Dan um, was doing the other evening um, while painting, I think from a, I don't know if um, it was a GW painting tutorial or something, but it was for like Drukhari using the new contrast. It's like um, you paint the whole model or like all the armor sections in Dan was using like turquoise. And then he was going over the sections with um like black templar but not doing the edges so that it counter like it reverse highlights so you fill in the middles over the mm. top with the black to darken it down um oh, yeah. yeah i don't yeah. know that's just a... I've, I've i've used that sort of method with black before you just do it like a gray a mid gray and then you just use black templar or something like that to mm. to go over the top so you get your black um in the recesses and stuff hmm. yeah yeah and it's what is that quicker than edge highlighting it depends on how steady your hand is so it's, i guess Can it's be. easier than edge highlighting yeah or, yeah interesting it's a different effect still gives you your highlights so we got a, another question here from eric uh caramancian so <clears throat> so he's written what shampoo does James use? Maybe my painting standards can reach his if I use the same brand. <laughs> well, thank thank you, Eric. Um, 
my um, shampoo that I use is actually uh, from Lush. It's a it's a Lush shampoo bar. Um, so what little hair I do have, <laughs> I um, sort of rub that on. It's like a sort of a cake of soap kind of thing um, made by Lush Cosmetics. Uh, it's it's a bit different. It's not um, out of the bottle, but yeah, that's probably the secret to my painting success successes at, at be at be as they as they may be. But um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Good question. <laughs> um, and I think the final one was from Peter Prettyman. Um, mm -hmm. And he said, is it time to let go of Legends units and move on, which we kind of talked about before? Um, yes, I it think... is. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I think Tim Kings and Brett are fine, but otherwise, yes, let go of everything else. Cool. I, I don't think I gave a definitive answer earlier. That's all. I just thought I would make my my thoughts known. Yes, it is. It is time to let it all go. Let it go. go. Chris, now, go. now I'm going to edit in. Can't hold you back yeah, anymore. I was about to say, you got, got your go. reference. Let it go. <laughs> just want to repeat what I'm saying. Okay, well, that's all the questions done. Um, uh, Clint, was there any um, anyone you'd like to shout out to? Any uh, announcements or anything you'd like to make um, with stuff that you're doing? Um, yeah, just one. Uh, so I was lucky enough to win uh, a limited edition uh, Catachan Colonel uh, from Emerald Games. Um, Emerald Hobbies, sorry. Uh, basically, it's one of those G-Dub. Uh, they were giving them to independent retailers for them to do what they wanted to do and emerald hobbies did a giveaway and i managed to win one um i don't really play that much 40k let alone catachins so i decided to raffle it off um and we're raffling it off for autism awareness australia which is a cause that's fairly close to my heart um with my boy and um so so we've been selling raffle tickets uh since i think the fourth of july we put it up and we've raised about a thousand bucks already which is awesome yeah um but we're still running the raffle until the end of the month just to make sure that anyone who wants a ticket can get it um they're five bucks each um and you can go into the draw to win one of these um to win this catechin kernel um so just on the herald to war website um it's the first post uh, and you can buy tickets there um so it'd be awesome i appreciate everyone who's bought a ticket so far and and helping out um, Autism Awareness Australia. Yeah, also awesome. Great cause yeah. and a really good thing to, to do as well. Yes. Well, yeah, I think we're, that's we're it. starting yeah. to, um, I think we're getting to that point now where it's, uh, we're, it's getting a bit late and probably maybe we should wrap, wrap it up. Are you guys, anyone else want to add anything, any final words, thoughts? No, all good from me. Um, I think, yeah. as always, if you want to follow me, you can find me at Wounded Mortally um, on Twitter um, or reach out on the Facebook page, um, Mortally Wounded Podcast, um, which both me and James manage. Yep. And if, um, if you'd like to follow me or get in touch with me, I'm on Instagram at um, Duke Kadrick, K-H-A-D-R-I-C. So, um, yeah, you can catch me on there and on Facebook. Um, but yeah, so thank you to everyone who um, put a question in. Thanks for your questions. It was very entertaining. <laughs> um, also some very, very good questions there, which um, 
thought-provoking discussion. So, yeah, thank you very much. And um, to everyone who's listening, thank you for tuning in, listening to us over the over the years. And, um, yeah, we really appreciate your support. Um, but, yeah, shall we leave it there, guys? Say goodnight. Yeah, um, oh, just if anyone I, wants to find Clint, where can Yeah, I, I was you? just about to... I have a go at James about that, about me not being important enough for people to talk to. Um, <laughs> you could find me on uh, Twitter or Instagram uh, at Clint Mallet. The man Very easy to find. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Yep. Well, with that, um, I think we'll call it there. Now play Aya Ding Dong! The only thing that makes him happy. When I feel your gentle touch and things are